from Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. <laughs> you are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. Battleline Podcast. I'm Ian Scotto. We have a ton of new listeners because those last couple of shows with Sarah Adams did tremendously. The fact that more is on being uncovered about the attacks in Benghazi 10 years after the fact is mind-blowing to me. I never thought that we'd be hearing new information about what went down. I felt like everything that had to be said or that, that you know needed to be said had been said. And I was pretty surprised to learn that there's quite a lot that I didn't know and even some things that Chris didn't know. And speaking of Chris, Tonto Peranto, who is normally on every show, myself and Chris, occasionally it'll just be myself. If you listen to those shows, you know that Chris had a major injury tearing his quadricep. I spoke to him two days ago and uh, he was in the hospital, but he was on a lot of uh, painkillers and that type of thing. He sounded fine. But he said, there's a possibility I might not be able to make this show with Kristen Beck as much as I would like to, uh, but I'm going to try to. And then he texted me yesterday and he said, dude, I'm in a ton of pain. He wanted to actually move the show to Saturday because he really wanted to do this. Um, We're taping on Thursday, but I plan on going hanging with my parents and some friends out in Long on Long Island, as we say, not in Long Island, on Long Island. Uh, over the weekend and in the few days after that. So I wanted to get it done now. Uh, I think Chris will be back next week, but we have plenty to get to. As you can see, this will be a very long episode because I recorded the uh, the interview with Kristen Beck earlier, and we got into a whole lot of things that you might not expect. And there's a lot of things that you might not expect from Kristen in this interview. You're going to want to hear the whole thing. But we also have plenty of news to get to. I got a ton of emails saying, you guys got to cover this. And people are trying to get into this with Chris on the E3 Firearms Group. So this is just one article about this. This is from Fox Business. Visa, MasterCard, Amex to categorize gun store sales separately. Payment processor Visa announced Saturday its plans to separately categorize gun shop sales, joining MasterCard and American Express, which have already said they would categorize purchases at firearm stores. Visa said it would apply the International Organization for Standardization's new merchant code to gun shop sales. The new iOS code was announced on Friday. Previously, gun store sales were labeled as general merchandise. And by the way, understandably, because I feel like if you're going to an accountant with taxes and that type of thing, you might want not want to reveal that you have firearms and it might be a personal private decision. So I understand that. Getting back to the article, uh, following uh, ISO's decision to establish a new merchant category code, Visa will proceed with next steps 
while ensuring we protect all legal commerce on the Visa network in accordance with our long-standing rules, Visa said in a statement. The move by Visa signals a major victory for gun control advocates who argue that a separate category for gun sales will help track suspicious quantities of firearm sales that could potentially lead to a mass shooting. Uh, editorializing here, I would say you really only need one firearm in order to um, be the perpetrator of a mass shooting. There are plenty of people who buy what some might say is a ridiculous arsenal, a ridiculous amount of firearms, and they're collectors, and they don't have any uh, intentions of using them violently and have no criminal record. So, of course, this penalizes the legal law-abiding gun owner. Uh, so getting into the argument here in the article, gun rights advocates and gun lobbyists have said categorizing gun shop sales would be unfair to the industry, given that most firearm sales do not result in mass shootings. Visa, which acts as a middleman between merchants and banks, is the largest payment network and with three major payment processors all electing to label gun store sales. There will now likely be pressure placed on banks as card issuers to decide if they will permit purchases uh, categorized as gun shop sales on their issued cards. New York City officials and pension funds had funded the ISO and banks to adopt the new code on gun shop sales. Two of the largest public pension funds in the U.S., which are located in California and New York, have put pressure on the country's largest credit card companies to adopt separate sales codes for gun sales. Merchant category codes are not exclusive to gun store sales. However, as the codes now exist for nearly every type of purchase, including those at supermarkets, clothing stores, coffee shops, and other retailers. Quote here is when you buy an airline ticket or pay for groceries, your credit card company has a special code for those retailers. It's just common sense that we have the same policies in place for gun and ammunition stores. End of quote. And that's uh, New York City Democratic Mayor Eric Adams. Gun control advocates claim that the merchant code for standalone gun and ammunition retailers could curb gun violence. A week before the 2016 Pulse nightclub mass shooting in Orlando, Florida, the gunman purchased more than $26,000 worth of guns and ammunition using credit cards. However, gun rights advocates contest that tracking gun store sales would target legal gun purchases because merchant codes only label the type of merchant where the credit or debit card is used, not the specific items. The purchase of a gun safe, for example, could be seen as a large purchase at a gun shop since the item can be brought for can be bought for thousands of dollars. But a gun safe is a product considered to be part of responsible gun ownership. Um, yeah, some interesting points here for sure. I know, of course, uh, our audience, most of which are on the pro firearm side, think that this could lead to more issues and would probably argue, and I would agree that this is not going to stop uh, mass shootings. And I think we need a, an entire overhaul of the culture in many ways in order to halt that kind of thing. And believe it or not, I do get into that a little bit with Kristen Beck. Another domestic issue here on the military front, um, and this one is from Center Square by Casey Harper, U.S. Army recommends food stamps for soldiers struggling with inflation. The U.S. Army is recommending soldiers apply for SNAP benefits, also known as food stamps, to help cover their rising costs from inflation. The U.S. Army cites the higher prices of a range of goods 
because of inflation in its recently released official guidance. With inflation affecting everything from gas prices to groceries to rent, some soldiers and their families are finding it harder to get by on the budgets they've set and used before. The guidance written by Sergeant Major of the Army Michael A. Grinston reads, Soldiers of all ranks can seek guidance, assistance, and advice through the Army's financial readiness program. The guidance points soldiers to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and links them to the Federal Welfare Program's website. SNAP, a U.S. government program that provides benefits to eligible low-income individuals and families via an electronic benefits transfer card that can be used like a debit card to purchase eligible food in authorized retail food stores. Service members and their families may be eligible. Then gives the phone number. Uh, Food insecurity for troops is not a new problem, but the recent surge in inflation has put service members in an even tougher situation. So the quote here from McKenzie, based on the Pentagon's own data, 24% of enlisted personnel are food insecure. While food stamps are a Band-Aid, they're also an admission that basic pay for enlisted troops and their families is too low. Bingo, I would say that hits the nail on the head. When you talk about job shortages or military needing to apply for SNAP, that tells you that the pay is way too low. And if you think that recruitment is low, once again, bingo, that, you know, if this is what you're paying guys, they're going to have to be put on government assistance. Of course, you're going to have a shortage of people applying for the military and enlisting. Um Yeah, further exacerbated by unyielding inflation, causing paychecks to shrink more. That's the end of that quote. Federal inflation data released in August shows that food prices have risen at the fastest rate since the 1970s. Um, It goes on from there, but I do think this is a huge problem. And much like a lot of other issues going on in America with job shortages and other things like that, people are not getting paid enough, and especially our troops are not getting paid enough if they have to apply for additional um, government benefits programs. That's a problem. Going on to the foreign policy frontier, yeah, the uh, the first of which I wanted to mention, uh, because the Armenia issue is not getting nearly enough coverage, Armenia and Azerbaijan strike ceasefire, ending clashes, and yeah, driving the news, the fighting raised, Fears of another war between Armenia and Azerbaijan over the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region, the site of decades-long dispute. Armand Grigorian, the secretary of Armenia's Security Council, announced in televised remarks early Thursday that the ceasefire had entered into effect hours earlier at 8 p.m. local time. The big picture, at least 176 Armenian and Azerbaijani soldiers were killed since Azerbaijan launched a large-scale attack on Armenia early Tuesday morning. Both sides had blamed each other for the start of the hostilities. As of 11 a.m., no significant incidents have been registered along with the Armenia-Azerbaijan border zone. The Armenian Ministry of Defense tweeted Thursday, confirming the ceasefire continued to hold. An earlier ceasefire brokered by Russia on Tuesday had quickly dissolved. The two-day episode marked the largest flare-up in hostilities between Armenia and Azerbaijan since 2020, when the two engaged in a six-week war in Nagorno-Karabakh. That is definitely 
major thing to be on the lookout for. And uh, yeah, prayers to Armenian brothers and sisters who may be listening to this and a lot of uh, a lot of violence in the region. And Armenia has a particular particular history of a lot of this type of thing and oppression. And we, of course, know about the un- underreported and also just underrecognized Armenian genocide, which uh, yeah, doesn't doesn't get the uh, press that it that it should in terms of genocides that have gone on, like the Holocaust. And yeah, the Armenian genocide was definitely uh, in that same category. So many, many hundreds of years of uh, of craziness in that region. And we, of course, hope for uh, the best. And last year, I have a really large article from the New York Times about what's going on in Ukraine. And to people's surprise, Ukraine's rapid advance. I'll just read a little bit of this. The strategy behind Ukraine's rapid military gains in recent days began to take shape months ago during a series of intense conversations between Ukrainian and U.S. officials about the way forward in the war against Russia, according to American officials. Uh, And this is Julian E. Barnes, Eric Schmidt, and Helene Cooper in the New York Times. The counteroffensive revised this summer from its original form after urgent discussions between senior U.S. and Ukrainian officials has succeeded beyond most predictions. Ukrainian forces have devastated Russian command and control and appear poised to capitalize on their advances in the northeast of the country and in another campaign in the south. So the thing is, I think Ukraine has advanced further than anyone would have expected when this war kicked off. But I don't think Putin or Russia are going to show any signs of of total uh, surrender in the region because of the of what's at stake, really, for the region. And of course, let's factor in the fact that the U.S. and President Biden has said on, on no unclear terms that there is no budget in terms and no limit in terms of the amount of billions that America is going to send to Ukraine. So things may ramp up because of that. And believe it or not, we cover this with uh, Kristen Beck as well, who definitely uh, may have some more controversial views on that issue at large. I know a lot of you are looking forward to this interview, so let's get into it. Before we do, we spoke very in-depth about Glenn Doherty and Ty Woods on our last couple of episodes, and Kristen knew both of those men. And of course, Glenn Doherty was the inspiration for Bub's Naturals. Glenn Bub Doherty. And whether you're looking for a great collagen supplement or you're looking for a healthy fat supplement with the MCT oil, or you're looking for a great supplement for digestion with the apple cider vinegar gummies, or you just want to get the right uh, micronutrients into your diet, you could use their fountain of youth formula. So I should just say they really have a supplement for everything that you're going to need and they give back with every purchase to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. They're a huge supporter of this show, and we support everything they do. And I'm sure Chris is in bed right now drinking his Bubs Naturals and hoping that it'll have some impact, that collagen, in his full recovery. But let's be honest, this is a major injury. It's going to be quite some time before he's running again. But I know that for all these uh, months, up until him getting injured, Bubs Naturals is what has powered him through a lot of those intense runs. So check them out, bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE. You're going to get 20% off. Great supplement that I swear by. And that collagen is great for muscle recovery. And collagen is really the building blocks 
of your body in terms of hair, skin, nails, and in terms of joint recovery, muscle recovery. There have been people who have written us who have had issues with joints and tears and are looking to recover from that. And collagen has played a role in that recovery. So you can learn more about it through the website. Once again, bubsnaturals.com. You can find Bubs Naturals in stores, but you're going to get the best deal through us when you go to bubsnaturals.com and you use the promo code BATTLELINE. Now, Kristen Beck is a big shooter uh, and we talk firearms. Kristen Beck has even broken some records in terms of SEAL teams. I, I don't know if broke some records, but is is uh, you'll hear one of the top shots in the SEAL teams. So, uh, yeah, check out Fort Scott Munitions for the best ammo on the planet. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. And at FSM.com, you can pick up one of these badass tins and they have it for all different ammo as well. I mean, this is the nine millimeter 80 grain. But they have these, actually, if you're watching on video on YouTube. They have these in different designs, different ammo, and they are so cool. If you just want to display it or you want to bring it to the range, they're great. So use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE at FSM.com for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. We have so many people who have been on the show, like Dr. Jason Piccolo, who now regularly uses Fort Scott Munitions and is feeling the difference. And for home defense, it can't be beat. So Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Ferranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Use promo code Battleline and you're going to get 15% off. They have great hats, shirts, all types of merchandise. With that, let's get over to Kristen Beck, Navy SEAL, DevGru veteran. Quite some time since I've seen you, spoke to you, so I'm excited for it. I think and, I saw you probably like four or five years ago now. It's been yeah, yeah. for sure. And and Chris really wanted to be a part of it. He actually texted me a bunch. He's like, "What, Kristen? No, it's not that I didn't want to do this. It's like he, if he's the type of guy that that if he says he's in pain, he really is. Oh yeah. I sure. I know, like from that Australian repelling thing, he like detached his quadriceps or something, and he had to have oh. surgery. And he was talking to me on the phone yesterday, and he, and he was like, "I want to do this." He's like, if you if you don't hear from me, I'm good to go. But if you hear from me, I'll let you know. And Wait, he just you had me. quad, something like that. I That's believe. You just muscle in your body, just about. That's yeah. Huge. Yeah. How in the heck can you do? Oh my God. I, yeah, I think, think it's something like that. for a year. God. Apparently, it's going to be six months, is what he's being told. And he's a guy who runs like every day, so yeah, it's pretty crazy. But we'll do a part two with him. But anyway, I, I should give you an introduction. <laughs> uh, joining us is someone I've known for like eight years, but first time on Battleline podcast, Kristen Beck, Navy SEAL, DevGrew veteran from 1990 to 2011, Purple Heart recipient, retired as a senior chief petty officer, 
And uh, yeah, it's great to speak with you again. I saw you on Rogan and everything, and I yeah. see that you're still doing well. Being on Joe Rogan was pretty cool. Uh, I think I talked about a lot of stuff that I normally wouldn't talk about with him. So, you know, I mean, Joe Rogan, he's pretty far out, you know. He, he digs the aliens and some other stuff. He's, he's an open-minded person, you know. I believe that all those folks like Joe, he doesn't really care about what he's really digging into. He just wants it to be true, you know. Oh, he does care, but it's, it's not – it was weird talking to him because he would dig into some stuff that he really cared about, and then other things that he wasn't really into, he would just kind of brush it off. So he has his focuses, you know, and so oh, I talk about a lot of stuff I wouldn't talk about normally because I know what he's into. You know what I mean? Well, I was going to say you <laughs> sounded far out from the moment that I turned on the podcast because I'm listening. And I think within one minute of the show, I hear you and you're like, I don't really believe in gravity. I just believe in buoyancy. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, this is this is already pretty far out. <laughs> well, you would be surprised at stuff I've studied. I mean, I, I was electrical engineering major in college, you know, for my bachelor's, you know, for that's. engineering and science and chemistry and math and all the other stuff is my background. Then I switched over to philosophy and political science. And I went from there, I went into uh, going into psychology and mental health counseling for a master's degree. So you can see that what I've studied over the years has been like all the electrical, then all mechanical, then a bunch of math and other stuff and physics. And then I started going into soft sciences. And I say soft sciences because I quit psychology I don't believe in it. Like as far as like mental health counseling, counselors and all that, I, I believe they're doing a lot of damage. I don't How so? Because I, mean, I, I think a lot of people would be advocates for that type of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm an advocate for it. I'm an advocate for talking. I'm an advocate for people, you know, searching for truth. But the problem with psychology right now is that they woke up somehow. They're, they're all woke. And I hate that word woke. And I don't, and I hate that hate word hate because it doesn't exist either. But That'd be another really good conversation. But uh, it's the balance, the yin and yang, the good and evil. There's no such thing as good and bad. There's only stuff. And it's how you treat the stuff is what it turns into. And if you maintain balance, you don't have to worry about good or bad or good or evil or all that stuff if you're balanced. And that's that's a whole other topic, though. There's a huge CIA paper that was declassified a while back. They did a lot of stuff in the 80s. So I don't know if you know about Grill Flame and remote viewing and a whole bunch of stuff the CIA was doing in the 70s. No, I feel like I've, I've heard about several things, not those though, not yeah. specifically. So many deep, deep classified projects that, and some of them are starting to get declassified. As a matter of fact, Russia is going to start declassifying a lot of stuff because Russia's pissed right now, you know? And so there's a lot of things that Russia does with the United States and with UN and with everybody else. There's a lot of uh, cooperation between nations. There has to be. Even if we're at war with somebody, you still cooperate, right? There's a Geneva Convention. There's all kinds of other things. So in peacetime, the cooperation is even deeper. So if you think about uh, NASA, think about Antarctic Treaty, think about all these other things, space. We've been working with the Russians on space, uh, you know, since the 50s and 60s. You know? Is this all stuff that you questioned after leaving the service? Because I would assume like while you're in military service for America, you have to be 100% focused on the mission. And on some level, I would think you would have to believe a lot of the things that you're now saying you probably you see as propaganda. Uh, propaganda is a funny thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Goebbels, you know, uh, if you look at, you know, who invented propaganda and the families and, and the lineages and how it actually developed, a lot of that is still in use today by 
most Americans, you know, and all of our media and Disney, you know, they're all connected and they're all doing it. It's a, it's a thing called MK Ultra and Mockingbird, sure. you know. I don't know if you know about Mockingbird and MK Ultra, but those are another couple yeah. of projects and they're they kept saying conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. But if you knew about the programs back in the old days, and then now they're declassified or starting to come out, you go, yeah, let me tell you about what was going on about 20 years ago. You know, let me tell you about what was going on, you know, here and here and, you know, flashlight repair school, you know, have you been to that one? You know, all those guys who went flashlight repair and all those guys who are doing remote viewing, all those guys who are doing just really deep, you know, weird work, you know, quantum leap stuff. You know, I'm throwing out a bunch of words and all those people that were part of these programs are going to know because there's a lot going on that we don't know as citizens in America. And I think that's the biggest problem. A lot of this stuff should have been declassified or, or let people know that this is going on a long time ago, you know, and the fact that they keep covering it up and, and they continue this, this classifying, say need to know. It's like, no, it's not a need to know and it doesn't need to be classified. The fact is, is you have knowledge that you're keeping from us because knowledge is power. You know, and that's why Russia right now is starting to declassify a little bit tidbits, because basically what they're saying to those other 12, 14, 30 something nations that are part of the Antarctica Treaty, Russia is saying, if you guys don't start being cool and start, you know, stop doing what you're doing right now, then uh, we're going to start spilling the secrets. So and just to get back to what, what I what I asked, though, like a minute ago, were you a big conspiracy person while you were a SEAL or was this all? after you left you started researching a lot more after i left but while i was in i was exposed to a lot of really cool programs in the beginning so there was there was programs in the 80s and you got to figure vietnam in the 70s 75 the guys that were in the vietnam war in the 80s and then into the 90s were ones that trained me yeah so i'm i'm a direct child of vietnam i was alive you know in 66 in the 70s we used to wake up and watch vietnam on a tv set Wow. So when I was training with those guys, it's different. Now, when you see our uh, generation of war fighters, you know, from this war, you're going to see drastic changes. So the Vietnam guys were pissed and they, they saw things that were going on that were wrong, but it wasn't as bad wrong as what they're doing to us today. And Meaning like what specifically? About, talking about, you know, uh, the medical stuff that we were exposed to was way sure. more dangerous than Vietnam, you know? You think, you think worse than Agent Orange? I think it's going to end up being worse. Wow. Because we developed so much stuff. And then you got to figure that I went to Iraq. I was there early in 2003, you know, right when the war kicked off and crossing the border. So do you know how many shots of anthrax, anti-whatever, anti antivirus, anthrax bullshit? It's the freaking jab, the anthrax jab. And I got it multiple times. And I had to keep doing these sessions of it. Holy and shit. you don't uh, you can't even imagine the stuff that's been pumped into the bodies of everybody in the military and any amount of tests. I mean, shoot, they're putting people underwater, SEAL team guys. They're putting people underwater, you know, down at, at 10, 15, 20 feet, and they're blowing stuff up and seeing what would happen. And then, OK, now we're going to blow it up and open your mouth. And then it was less because it didn't blow your eardrums out that time. OK, cool. OK, now we're going to blow it up. I'm going to do this. OK, now we're going to do this frequency. And they're blasting these frequencies and stuff underwater with these guys sitting in chairs on breathing on, you know, scuba gear, getting blasted by these waves. And it was hitting them underwater, getting blasted by these things. And your ears start bleeding. That's what they're doing to American soldiers. I remember there was like a Supreme Court decision a few years back about that, but it was in regards to how it would harm like the animals in, in the vicinity. 
But of course, if it's going to harm animals, which was like it was harm harming like the hearing of whales, I remember this. Then of course it's going to hurt human beings as well. And that's just one experiment. I mean, I could I could go into a lot of stuff, but the fact is, is that if you're in the military, you're a guinea pig. If you're in a military, you're pawn. If you're in a military, you're uh, you're disposable. You know, we are military people, veterans. We're one percent of this nation. We're super sure. small. One percent. And so why aren't we being taken care of? Why is the VA failing? We're such a small number of people, you know? Why do you think it is? Because, I mean, there was that recent controversy over the burn pit bill and yeah. the, the stuff about, all right, is this discretionary spending or what, you know, however it was for phrase, mandatory spending. And that was like the big controversy and this thing finally got passed and you know people are still questioning i know when i had chris on the show with me as we usually do he's like we'll see years down the line if the money really goes to veterans in need or if it gets you know pushed to other bullshit like it usually does so the problem with the va the problem with military veterans in america right now is citizens united and the fact that we have dirty bills every bill is dirty they throw pork and they put junk on it. So you have this great VA bill that's going to help all these guys out in the burn pits. And then they start playing with the money. They say, well, this pot of money is over here. It's discretionary. And this pot is tied to the burn pits. So they already had all the burn pit money. They already had it. But it was in a pot of money that they couldn't mess with. So what they did was they said, we need more money for burn pits. So they took all these millions, billions, whatever dollars. And said, okay, this is designated for burn pits. So now it's designated hardcore burn pits. Now the old burn pit money the millions and billions they had set aside already for burn pits. They said, well, that was in a, a discretionary fund. So we want to put it in unrestricted. That's what all Democrats wanted. See, they don't know the truth. And so everybody keeps saying the Republicans were blocking a bill for that and all these jerk Republicans. No, the Democrats put pork in there or they were trying to change the money. They were changing from restricted VA veteran, helping the veterans out, trying to make it a restricted funds into an unrestricted. The same yeah. amount of money. So that's dirty. Sure. You know, if we already had money over there for doing helping the veterans out, leave it there. Now we have more money for the burn pits because you know what? As soon as they started doing this bill, a ton of veterans are going to start staying and coming out of the woodwork and signing up because a lot of veterans got exposed to burn pits. You know, when so you were mentioning they, the, uh, they need the old money to be in there is restricted, uh, and it was for chemical exposure. A whole bunch of it covered a yeah. lot of the old money. Now the new money is designated only for post 9/11 burn pits. So the old money can still be used by all the dudes in Korea, Vietnam, Cold War, all of it. That's what that old money was for, was for all the other stuff. It was a huge pot. And it covered a ton of things. And burn pits. It covered burn pits, too. But it wouldn't have been enough. We didn't need more, of course, because there was going to be a lot more people exposed to the burn pits. So the new money they just voted on, the Republicans were right. You can't unrestrict that and just use it for whatever you want. They were trying to make a slush fund. That's yeah. the problem. Is when it you were mentioning uh, politicians and pork on yeah. all their bills? Make a straight bill, make it clean, make it a good bills, and don't do all this pork anymore. Greedy, oh, for sure. just hate these politicians because they're greedy. Look at Pelosi. You have Warren Buffett who invests often. He comes back with returns of what, 15, 20, like 25%. Nancy Pelosi comes back with returns, and she's not an investor. She doesn't know anything about investing. And she's coming back with like 60%. Sure. On investments. And and if we're going to be fair, Dan oh, Crenshaw, dirty. the guy, did very well. Republicans and Democrats, both sides, they all do it. They're all yeah. dirty. We got to yeah. get real citizens united, and we got to make every one of them Congress people a new amendment. Every law that you have an American citizen, me, you will follow that same exact law. So for them saying that the IRS can't audit them anymore, 
Are you kidding me? They're the ones that should be audited the most. Not me. I make crap money. I make what? 40, 50 something thousand dollars a year. I'm struggling. And then you got these millionaire, billionaire politicians. You're not going to audit them? And you're going to audit me with 50 grand? Yeah, I, I, I fully The veterans are getting pissed. Because yeah, the politicians I, keep screwing with us. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I totally understand the passion. I was going to say with Citizens United, as you know, Christian, like I've worked in political talk radio. So I was I was working there when that was like a big controversial yeah. issue. I think one of the issues that people had was that it addressed um, super PAC money, but it yeah. didn't address union money. And I think one of the complications was, all right, if you're going to get rid of money in politics, get rid of all money in politics, including big union money. So I, I think that would need to be added to Citizens United, and then it would get rid of super PAC money, union money, and people would just run on private donations like when you ran for Congress. Yeah, 100%, you know, private citizens, maximum $2,000. You know, if you can't run a campaign off of all your citizens that are in your district, like Steny Hoyer, he doesn't care about his district. He's been there for, what, 40 years, 30, 40 years? It's, it's crazy. And his district is failing. He doesn't take care of his people. He's too worried about trying to be Speaker of the House and working with America. He's a, he's a politician. He's been there forever. And he has good ties. And he's done some good things. But he doesn't do anything good anymore because he doesn't care about his people. And it's his district. If he was running off of his district and going door to door like I did and getting $10 donations from people, then he would be a politician, like working for his people. Yeah. And that's, I just politicians right now, any one of them. I don't believe any of them. They're all in cahoots. They're all working together. Just like I said with Russia in the beginning, they're in cahoots. When you talk about a lot of stuff going on in big politics, America and, and Russia, they work a lot together behind the doors. You know, they're shaking hands and saying, hey, what's up? I mean, shoot, President Obama was really good friends as a kid with all the Bushes, with Bush Sr. So you're telling me they're not in cahoots? They sure didn't seem like enemies up on stage. But yeah. behind closed doors, they're hugging each other, giving each other kisses on the cheeks and saying, hey, hey, remember that time when you were five years old and you're playing in that picnic and you broke that? Wait, what? Would, would you ever run again? Because I remember that whole experience when you ran. If I ran, it would be after when, when everything's fixed, if money's totally out of politics, because it's too crooked right now. You got to be a millionaire or a billionaire. You have to be rich. And if you're one of those rich people like that, you're probably an elite. That means you're part of WEF, you're part of NWO, you're part of, you know, all of them. You know, you're tied to the Rothschilds and all the rest of them. What do you, you know? Believe that for every, even for like people like, like I said, Dan Crenshaw, who has a similar background to you. Do you feel the same way? No, Crenshaw is part of the World Economic Forum. He's a World Economic Forum young leader. What does that mean? What you want to do is you want to get the list of every one of them WEF young leaders. You know, and one person that went to a meeting and her name was on a list for whatever reason, she's totally denied it. Well, she said, I was there and I saw what they're doing and I got out of there and I, I deny it. I do not want to be part of them. Tulsi Gabbard. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I asked her about WEF and she, she sent me notes and we talked about it. And uh, she's hardcore against WEF. She doesn't like the New World Order, or the World Economic Forum, all that stuff. Tulsi, as far as veterans go, is uh, one of the veterans I really like. There's a lot of new veterans getting elected right now. And I hope that they stay away from the World Economic Forum. You know, don't fall in the same trap that Crenshaw fell into. You know, I don't know how he got trapped into that, but I'm pretty sure I know what it was. You know, it's pretty easy to figure it out. Yeah, so, and, and, uh, when, 
and when Gabbard ran for president, she got accused like left and right of being a Russian agent and, you know, and she's a combat veteran. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, the Russians right now, I don't blame them. You know, why would I say that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering why you feel Crimea, that. Do you know anything about what's going on in Donbass and the whole strip and everything that's going on and what happened in with Crimea? Why did they go back over to the Russian Federation? You know, they, they all put their hands in the air and said, Hey, we're Russian. Huge Navy base, Russian Navy base, right there. And so what happened was the way the Ukraine is shaped, it totally locks off the entire Crimea. And then all the water that flows into Crimea basically comes out of the Ukraine and they shut the water off. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that specifically. Yeah, Crimea, was being, Crimea was in a hard way. They're getting, they're, they're, it was bad. And then you had all the other Russians that were in Ukraine. Ukraine is basically like Texas for America. You know, Texans in Texas, they're they're badass and they kind of have their own, you know, everything. They have their own constitution, they have their own stuff. They could split away from America pretty easily compared to a lot of the other states. So can you imagine if Texas split away from the USA and said, hey, you guys are weird, man. We want to we want to back up from you guys. You know, California, Texas is going, no. And so if Texas split away and in America said, you Texas can't split away and we started invading Texas, that's what happened. Yeah, do you, if you look at it? That's the way it happened. Okay, now if Texas split away from the United States and then Russia came over and said, Hey, Texas, hey, you want to join uh, the Russian Federation, like NATO? We're saying Ukraine, yeah, join NATO. So now Texas is part of the Russian Federation. What happens then? They get an Iron Dome over Texas, Russian protection, and all the, you know, Patriot missiles, all the other stuff to protect Texas from the United States will all be in place. So can you imagine if NATO was in Ukraine? It's right. It's like Russia. It's like Russia. I wouldn't want that. And plus, half the Ukrainians are Russians anyway. They speak Russian. They're Russian. They're Russians. They all want to be back part of Russia. A lot of Ukraine wants to be part of Russia. And so what I would say was there's a strip of land in the Donbass and it goes down and it connects to the Crimea. And it's right there on the border of Russia. It would give a, uh, an area for Russia to have as a, a uh, protected zone, as a cushion from NATO so that the freaking anti-air all the other stuff is not right on the border you're talking about the borders right there we wouldn't yeah. want that if russia started setting stuff up in canada we'd be pissed if russia started setting up stuff in cuba wouldn't we be pissed of course yeah huh? do, you, do you think there's <laughs> yeah. gonna be some, do you think there's gonna be some situation where u.s troops are sent to ukraine and russia they're already there but do you think it's going to be like a bigger presence? I'm talking about like a long-term presence in the we're, region. We're Vietnam right now, 1965 six, to 67. It's going to start ramping up. And if it starts ramping up and then Russia is going to play some other cards on a table, and then we're going to quickly say, no, nah, we don't really want to do that. And then we're going to give them the Donbass and a whole strip of land down in the Crimea so that they control everything for the Crimea. They're going to have the water. They're going to have power. They're going to have everything they need down in the Crimea. And then that gas line will open up into Europe so that the Europeans won't freeze this year. Then all the oil will open up, and then the Europeans will have gasoline for their cars so they can drive around this winter. So right now, uh, this whole thing will probably be over here and pretty quick, I think. Hmm. Based on some of the intel I've seen from some different sources, I think we have. It's going to be pretty quick. It's almost over. All right. Well, you know, I, I do want to get into your background because for people seeing the video, oh, wait, wait. it won't be over if America does stuff to make it not be over. 
The only reason Russia would keep doing what they're doing in Ukraine and everything keeps going on is that we're going to send more billions over there and try to keep it, try to keep it going. Because if this keeps going, we're using all the stockpiles of everything. Russia's using all their stockpiles. They're asking North Korea for artillery now. So everybody's using up all their stockpiles. So what does that mean? That means the military industrial complex gets to make a whole bunch of new stuff. Yeah. And what happens when a military industrial complex in Russia and America makes a whole bunch of new stuff? A whole bunch of people get become millionaires. And they take more tax money out of our pockets, so we become poorer. And all those people that are part of that complex, they all get richer. So Hal Burton and all that, you know, I mean, that's yeah. Obama and Bush, Hal Burton. I mean, there's, there's so many connections and so much stuff that people, I wish they would wake up and start looking at. We're too lazy as, as Americans. We watch TV and we read bumper stickers on cars. Yeah, we watch CNN and Fox. We watch one of those two, CNN or Fox, and then that's where you go. And then you read bumper stickers on cars and you see a coexist bumper sticker and you go, yeah, coexist. And then if you see, uh, don't tread me on another one, hey, don't tread on me, you know? And then a whole nother group goes, yeah, don't tread on me. And everybody's going, coexist, don't tread on me, coexist, don't tread on me. And what happens is there's a deep, there's yeah, a deep- divide and conquer. Yeah, but did you know there's a huge deep program, government sponsored, that's uh, running pretty much behind the scenes of everything, all the social media and every word you type. And it's always checking to see what you're doing. And it keeps funneling you information to put you more into a box, into oh, an echo sure. chamber. So the echo chambers are being created right now in this world, worldwide. The echo chambers are being very drastically set aside. They're being set into two camps. You know, and the two camps are obvious. I mean, look at India right now. Indiana, I mean, they're, uh, Indiana just did this huge uh, abortion bill that basically almost everything is yeah. illegal except uh, rape, incest, um, going off the top of my head. And then it's, uh, there's a couple of other things where it's danger to the mother or the, the fetus is definitely non-viable. Something happened. You know, I think it's only those four cases. So, and I, I think that's, you know, that seems like more in line with what was supposed to be happening way back in the old days. You know, abortion is not birth control. You know, and I think that's what a lot of people are mistaking right now, that you can just go around and be willy-nilly and do whatever you want. And then if something happens, you're going, oh, I just kill it. You know, it doesn't, it's be more responsible. You know, you have sex when you're having kids or you protect yourself when you're having sex. You know, you don't use it as, as birth control. It's ridiculous. You know, I don't understand how we got to be that callous as human beings, you know? And they keep saying that's not a human. Are you kidding me? You know, there's there's all kinds of tests. There's, all, there's so many things that you can look at with data. It breaks my heart. But the thing is, is these two camps are being, are being drawn right now, you know, and that's the way it's going. And that echo chamber, it's going to push everybody in that direction way, way left. I'm going to say left and right because it's pretty much the way it's going. You can see it. You know, yeah, and, and I know in the right echo chamber, all of us in the middle are being pushed into those two camps. I'm in you know, the middle. And, and, and I, as someone who's known you for I hate everybody, <laughs> I was just going to say to so, someone who's known you now for like eight years, you're someone who ran as a Democrat. You have some views that are very left wing, some views that are to the right. And I do think, yeah, if you find yourself too much in one camp, yeah, you're probably consuming a lot of propaganda that's what? putting you into that camp. But as I, as I was saying earlier, because I do want to get into oh. your background, I mean, just looking at the video, the amount of stuff behind you, 
I mean, there's so many stories to be told. So, you know, it's one thing I was, and I see all this. Yes, yeah, it's so cool. Wow, that is an awesome room. If if anybody's just listening, check out the YouTube video because wow, this Everyone, is awesome. here's a cool one. Like right there. You remember the old pictures that everybody had holding the golden guns? Sure, sure. See that? I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh. So one one thing I was meaning to ask you though these last two episodes oh wow that's so cool <laughs> I I was meaning uh, to ask it's, it's demilitarized and it's just a piece of it's just a chunk of metal so it doesn't yeah it's not uh, worth anything either it's, it's what a little bit of gold plating sure it's worth what twenty bucks <laughs> it is cool though but uh, these last two episodes being uh, ten years since Benghazi we were celebrating the lives of these guys and commemorating the tragedy that happened I was wondering with with you know, your age, your background, did you have any, um, any experience with Glenn Doherty or Ty Woods? Oh uh, yeah. Ty. Yeah. A lot you, I, with both of them. Yeah. Mostly. The I think, frog, though. <laughs> yeah. I think this audience would probably love to hear that. Cause I mean, this audience really reveres those two men. Yeah. Well, Ty was like the glue. He was, um, man, he'd bring people together, man. He was, uh, and that's what I think was the greatest, the greatest thing I could ever say about him was he was the glue, you know, he brought everybody together and held them together and made everything make sense and, uh, and made us, made us proud and, and do good, you know, and he was a, he was a fartier too, you know, and a lot of that was a flat frog, you know, the flat frog was a bar down in Imperial beach, uh, California, just down, the, down the strand from the seal team, uh, command. And, uh, it was a dumpy little bar. It used to be called the Far East Rock, and uh, which was awesome because it would look when you walked into there, you thought you were in Thailand. So you walked through the door, and then it had these big thick curtains hanging, so you couldn't see inside. And, and people inside, it could be noon, two o'clock in the afternoon, and you thought it was midnight. <laughs> it was just dark, and it looked just like a Thai bar. You'd have girls dancing, doing whatever, and just rock and roll and playing Metallica, pretty much every song. You know, it just, and then when you went in there, it was all team guys and, and all the girls and girlfriends or whatever. And it, it was just like, and it would always have kegs of beer in the back. It'd be like, Hey, who bought the keg today? And it'd be like, Oh, seal team one, oh, so-and-so just retired keg. And you just go back there and everybody's got solo cups and just filling off the keg. When the keg ran out, we'd pass around a helmet, you know, Bud's helmet and throw money into it and uh, fill it up and get another keg. Say, Hey, Doc, bring another keg and give him a helmet full of money <laughs> but yeah i mean it was it was it was pretty awesome and that's what i would say the best about ty was he was just he, and you need people like that you know it's it's fun to have like that olympic athlete who's just like yeah and that guy who's just a door kicker you know and that would be like uh, Craig Sawyer, who's another awesome guy. He was a team one with Van. He's like, he's like that hard charging door kicker guy that that's what he does. He's a point man. He just makes it happen. He goes, you know, and he's always working on his gear and making sure everything's perfect. And that's what I liked about Craig so much was the guy, everyone looked up to him at SEAL Team One because you would look at him and say, that guy is going to be a dev group soon. Cause you would look at him, you knew it was like, that guy was so hardcore. He'd be doing on weekends on Sunday morning, you know, after church, he'd be out in the compound on the grinder with all his gear spread out and going through each piece of it and cleaning and setting it and saying, okay, there, then he would repack all his bags and then we'd work out and then just get a monster workout in. And he got it all the time, 
you know? So, and what I'm saying is Ty was like a hard charger, but he was like the glue. Craig was like that point man and just making stuff happen and just follow him. And then the glue would make it, you you need all these guys and you need a Bible thumper. That's like the platoons. I could point to all the platoons and just do names, all those names there. I could name every one of those guys and tell you where he fit in and like what his like attitude or what he acted like because every platoon has them every platoon has that point man hard charger like craig everybody has a glue everybody has a bible thumper everybody has a dirty guy dirty dan from dav group uh sniper dude but there's always that dirty guy and there's always like that you know really whack out weirdo and it might have been me a couple times (laughs) (laughs) i was in electronic stuff and i was always doing like these secret stuff like cameras and audios and stuff and doing drop stuff and then i had to go into like the clandestine stuff doing uh the farm training where i learned how to do all the all the field work you know you know and then dead drops and live drops and audio and digitals and that and i could tell you all the stuff we used to do it was cool so you had that guy so every platoon has them and i think if you go in the army you can like go right down the line yep there's the bible thumper there's that guy there's the guy it's always so then you start thinking about the just stereotyping and then archetypes you know and so if you can study all the stuff you can really figure people out and then you can work with them better and i think that's where ty was really good is that he he knew where everybody was and could bring them together and then boom boom and task out and i i think that would like i don't know it's hard looking back that far and figuring it out though I, I mean, overall, I've heard such positive things about about both these guys. I met Glenn Doherty really, really briefly. Yeah, never met Ty Woods, but I I've heard so many great things. I didn't talk about Glenn very much, but yeah, Glenn, same same thing. Took hard chargers, and if they weren't there, then a lot of people probably would have been would have been died. You know, died. It just they were the best of the best, and they saved a lot of people. You know? and, it, and it sounds like they saved people even prior to Benghazi because yeah. everybody does know they saved lives in Benghazi. Mm-hmm. So crazy times. The people, though, and just that's what I miss the most is is that because now I'm like looking at some of those names and I saw like Tony Lena and Winfield and some of the other ones. It was like all these guys from back in the old days, man. Just there's nothing like it. And that's why when I was talking about earlier and I was talking about Russia and talking about how we're messing up and how bad we are. And, uh, I think I'm a lot like Smedley Butler. And if you know who Smedley Butler yeah. is, you get, you got to read him and, and definitely read. It's a short book. It probably might take an hour, but a war is a racket. Smedley sure. Butler. Cause, uh, I'm like him. I love my military. I love all my veteran brothers and sisters. I love America and everything that I've done, you know, but there's a lot of mistakes we're making. And until we get this political thing, you know, back to the middle, back to the way it was, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, if I say back to the middle, I'm saying I want it to be back like it was in the old days. You know, people are gonna jump on that and say, oh, you want slavery and you want that and you want bigotry and all this other crap, you know? No, I want it to be back when we were in the middle and we were just Americans. We weren't left or right. We weren't Democrats or Republicans. We were Americans. And we weren't doing all this fighting. The reason we're really breaking right now and the reason so much stuff I'm talking about and why I really hate all the stuff that's going on right now, I'm so pissed, is because of the politicians, because they went right and left. They went so far out to the extremes that they're making it hard on everyday American citizens. And they got to know what's happening. 
They're basically taking every cent out of every citizen's pocket and putting it into their own. And if you don't think that's the case, then you need to wake up. Because Pelosi coming back with 60% returns on her investing in stocks, where do you think all the money's coming from? Because somebody makes money on a stock exchange doesn't mean, you know, somebody, you know, got free money. Somebody's losing. So when you lose, and those big corporations, when they lose, you know what they do? They make the prices higher. It's not like she didn't take money from the company. She took money from the higher prices they're giving me. And then that's how they pay off Nancy. We're all getting, every time somebody just says bankruptcy, hey, if you're a prepper and you want to, you know, survive this bad stuff that's coming now, max out your credit cards and then declare bankruptcy. Seriously, that's the worst thing you could do in the whole world. If you want to survive anything that's going on in the future. If you want to survive, buy a bunch of seeds and plant some gardens and take care of yourself and try to be self-sufficient a little bit. If you just plant a little bit of food, you know, you're sustaining, you know, a little bit and you're helping out the overall. But if you declare bankruptcy, same thing. All those companies you just shorted are going to raise their prices. And that's why we keep going. And inflation is going to keep going up. It's going to go up worse because people are panicking right now. They're buying everything. They're doing this. They're getting drastic. People are being stupid. So you know what's going to happen to inflation when all these people do that? Can you imagine if all these people start declaring bankruptcy, all that debt piles up, all those companies raise the prices up, inflation goes up. And all these people are doing stupid stuff, the dumber stuff they do, and the more drastic it's going to get. So I'll tell you what, this winter is going to be a rough winter because you're going to start seeing that people are dropping stuff and doing stuff and being weird. Politicians are getting even more and more. Until we start going back in the middle and start saying, hey, I'm an American. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm not left. I'm not right. I'm an American. So if you make those policies, you make those laws for every American, not just for your party. So if you're making laws, you're making policies, and it's really good for your party, hell with you. Yeah. You should be voted out. If there's anything that you're doing that's not for America, all of us, then we need to get voted out. That's both sides of the parties, Republicans and Democrats alike. Yeah, I, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. A lot of people agree. Um, I am going back to something you said, because when you were looking back at that SEAL Team 1 plaque over there and you were naming the guys, I was yeah. wondering how uh, how many of those guys do you still speak to? Do you stay in touch with a lot of them? Uh, like, what, what are they up to today? Dude, that's awesome. Because I was just talking to Nick Adams. He was uh, in... What was he in three of my platoons? He was in a bunch of them. But uh, we spent probably six years together. And then we were together for 10. I, he went to Buds. We were together for a long time. He, we were roommates and all kinds of stuff. But I've been talking to him a lot. We didn't really talk for a while. I think I fell off communications with a lot of my buddies. But uh, Nick sent me a note the other day. And he was like, hey, what's up, man? I haven't talked to you in a long time. And I was like, Nick, no way. <laughs> we started trading stories. And I was like, hey, Nick. And then I said, I use some of your stories, you know, to uh, make points. Because I give speeches around the country. Leadership and motivation. And I try to take all my SEAL team stories. You know, and most of them are bad. But uh, that way I screwed something up or I did something wrong. Uh, but one of the stories I used for Nick was we were out doing a shotgun training course. And I, we were at uh, Mid-South. So that was Shaw's. We were down at Shaw's and we were shooting down there. And at Shaw's was developed by uh, basically Dav Group and CAG. You know, they, they basically went there and built this place and told them what they wanted. And then they built this entire thing up. And I think in the 70s, you know, it's an old place, 80s maybe, probably early 80s. But uh, so that's where we're at. We were doing a shotgun course. 
And for whatever reason, Nick didn't do real well in the shotgun course. And he was pissed. And uh, he, I don't, he might have come in last place, but he did really bad. He was down at the bottom. And he's not that kind of guy. He's a really good shooter. And so he went on Saturday, Sunday, we had some time off. And he went there with like a 1,000 rounds of 12-gauge. And just was like, had the shotgun, 870, and just was loading, shooting, shooting, and just doing, doing through the course and just doing it, 1,000 rounds. And then his fingers were bleeding. He's just shooting, just going mad. And he showed up on Monday, and we did another shotgun course, and he was first. And so that's the SEAL teams. That's what we do. If you find yourself, you have a weakness, you have something you did wrong, you go back and you're persistent, you practice, and you train, 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 you get it until you know it. It's like, okay, I got this. And you do it for every skill we have. And Nick was a perfect example of where he saw a flaw or he saw something where he wasn't doing what he wanted to do. It wasn't as well as he knows he could do. He was pissed at himself and he trained. Now he's number one. And that's the way we are SEALs. And so that made me number two. And so I had to go train even harder. And so then I beat him. So I became number one again. And that's a true story. Wow. Now, <laughs> I, I ended up, we do this five thing. It's five plates about that big. And I think we were at 15 yards. So it's not real far away, but basically you're like this and you quick draw and you shoot the five. And uh, since CAG and Dev Group started Mid-South Shaw's, there's one plaque and it has 10 names on it. And it's for the fastest time you shoot those five plates. If you do it like less than a second, you're going to be in the top 10. It's fast. So when you need that top 10, and it's up there since the 80s, so you figure that thousands and thousands and thousands of people from both commands and all special forces and all the SEALs, and a lot of Rangers go there and Marines go there now, but uh, those names at competition is like a 30, 40-year-old competition. I'm on that list. That's awesome. That is. And do you still shoot regularly? Uh, yeah, not so much anymore. Okay. I, I I'm more in like the conservation of ammo right now. I know how to shoot. And if I get back on a gun, if I throw down a couple of magazines, I'm back in a groove. You sure, know? sure. You figure you shoot millions of rounds, you know, especially when you're at damn neck. We have a shooting range that's open 24 hours a day. So and we have key swipes. So we just go in there and we swipe and we get our guns and we just shoot at three o'clock in the morning. So you figure guys are doing that all the time. You know, you, you Nobody can imagine how hard we train, you know, what we do, you know, and, and it just fires me up when I see it. And I always come back to this one radio man. He was uh, not a SEAL. He was a, a tech. He was a radio guy, really good with comms, and he was specialized. So he would go out on missions with SEALs because this guy was so specialized, they needed him. And I remember one time watching him work out and after a run. And he was coming back with his rucksack on there and 50 pounds in his ruck and doing a run. And he's coming back and he was just like throwing up and just working so hard. And I was like, hey, how far did you go? And he was like, 10. I was like, cool, man. And he's sitting there puking all over himself. And I was like, all right, man, keep going, man, rock on. And those are the kind of guys we would have in the SEALs that were not SEALs, they're specialists. We'd have that guy with us because that guy was basically a SEAL in his heart. A lot of those techs, they were, I'd basically say, no, dude, don't play that SEAL tech game with me. You're with us, you know, you're equal, you know? And that's how I always played that game. It was like, no, man, you're, you're with us. There ain't no difference between me and you, you know, or me and any one of the other SEALs down there. Cause we had jobs and we were experts at our jobs. 
That's how I got to Damnick. That's how I got to Dev Group because I was a specialist. Yeah, way more specialized than most seals. You know, and, and, and we'll get into that a little bit. But is that is that attitude like what inspired you to become a seal? Like this idea of always having to be the best. Were you like that as a young kid? Yeah, I was. And my mom brought up a story to me the other day, and she says, "You know, I knew you were going to do something because you don't quit. You're just you're you just you just will never quit." So I bought this snowboard before they made snowboards. This is 1970s. So I didn't end up getting a good one. It was a Burton snowboard in the eighties, but so I've been snowboarding since the seventies. And, and, uh, so this had no, you don't wear boots. There's no straps in your feet. There's nothing. It's a piece of wood with a little thing like this in the front. So it doesn't dig into the snow and it had a string on it, a little rope, thin rope. It wasn't in that thick. It was like 550 cord. And, uh, you hold onto that and you put your feet on little sticky pads or just rough pads, abrasive. And you just stand there on this piece of wood and you go down the <laughs> hill. And that's what I would do. And I was on this freaking hill and my mom was watching. So we were just sitting there and just watching. And I would get up, walk up the hill and go down the hill and fall off after 10 feet, fall off to 12 feet, fall 15 feet, fall five feet. And I did it for hours until I went down the whole hill. And I came back in after like four or five hours of me trying to go down this stupid hill on this piece of wood with a string. And I did it. I came back in and she was like, okay, finally, you got it. And my mom was like, you know, I can't believe it, you know. And she brought that up to me a little while ago. And I was like, I don't even remember that. And I started actually thinking about it. There's a CIA technique that's declassified. If you ever want to think of something, you want to remember something, you can do it right now. Do you want to remember something from your childhood? You have to have a fuzzy recollection of it. You want it to come in real deep. Yeah, good memory. Okay, so well, explain what you're doing. Okay, I won't be able to do it. No, but is, is this like a I'm hypnosis type of thing, or things. no? There's these things you can do that I don't. I'm telling you, man. I wish people knew like one percent of the stuff in these programs. <laughs> Just type in Gorilla Flame project. There's okay. there's cool stuff, but right there. There's, there's these energy centers and there's ways you can do it. And I can make these energy balls too. I got to throw the energy off. I don't think I can I'm gonna try to pass it through. Where are you at right now? I'm in Connecticut. Connecticut? What city? Uh, Norwalk. Probably just showed you my ball spot. Did you feel it? What'd <laughs> you get? Pretty cool. What'd I, you get? I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I am necessarily feeling something here, but I'm gonna have to look into this. Okay, well, I, I just raised you about almost a full uh I just I gave you about ten percent. I, I feel like this conversation is raising me up, so I, I like it. But mm-hmm. uh you, you were talking about uh, special, you know, specialization in SEAL teams and stuff that you specialized in. And we've talked about this before in like previous discussions, how you did a lot of stuff in the tech side. You were instrumental in the capturing of UBL prior to it actually happening. No, no, I wasn't instrumental. I never said instrumental. I just said I was part of the project. 
Part of, yeah, part of the process of what led to the raid, I would say. Yeah, yeah, thousands sure. of people worked so hard for so long. And it was about, uh, it's human. I mean, basically, it's what we all do, you know, as far as people like me, you know, and, and trying to get any intel and doing anything. And we knew we knew where we were looking. We knew the stuff. And I was in Northern Waziristan. It was thousands of people. So all the guys that actually were boots on the ground, you know, I mean, that's the tip of the sphere. Yeah. But how big is the tip of the sphere? If you really think about a sphere, you know, you have to think about the whole thing, the whole train of everything. And when I talked to Rob, you know, O'Neill, it was like, yeah, dude, you're the tip of the tip of the sphere. But and he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And there was, a, there was thousands of people behind me. He says it all the time. He says, we could never would have been there, you know, without everybody working in concert to do all the stuff on the ground, setting up, you know, stuff. So I can't go into detail at all, but there's a, there's a lot to it, you know? I remember in a conversation we had you saying that that's why the movie Zero Dark Thirty is like a work of fiction. It's not how it went down at all. I can say it, that's not how it went down at all because there was so much more to it. They just had to combine people and stuff into one character, you know? And it was just like, it's character driven. You can't have a true story fold out because there's just too many people and you lose track of it because it's like, who's that? You know, because one person only does one thing, you know, but then they have to attribute that one thing to someone else to give them a lot, you know, and that's what I was saying. It's not, it's not right. You know, it'll never be correct because there's so much. Because a movie though has to be that way because like Chris has said before with 13 hours, like he has said 13 hours is pretty accurate. He goes, but some stuff with the IED blast, he's like, this isn't what it looks like. However, they just cinematically couldn't do what he wanted to do because he goes people would be having seizures in the theater if it looked like a real id going off uh so stuff and like really that. Knew, and if you really knew everything that went on for the ubl thing then yeah it would be yeah not good you would know you, nobody should know everything that happened we would have been out of Afghanistan and what in 2002 like summer of 2002 we could have been out of there there were major warlords that were some of the guys that first uh, gave up in the beginning and are still at Gedmo, some of them, you know, they they came in and they gave themselves up and they said, we'll bring all our people in. Who was that one guy? He was like a real badass, honorable warrior, you know, and I can't remember who it was. There was one, he was definitely came in there and he would have led the entire peace deal. And he was there and he says, yeah, and he's bringing all his people in. But then we screwed them over and we did some other stuff and other things happened. We said, no, because we were giving away. It had to do with the provinces and the provinces were all being split up and they were being um, control and this and that. And there was a huge deal being made. And the United States says, no, we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists. Saying so, at that point, when you're already at war with a whole group of people like that, they're no longer terrorists They're war fighters. They're we're at war. You know, Geneva Convention, all this stuff, they're we're, they're no longer terrorists. When you consider a Taliban in 2002, you know, when we were there, you know, in 01, I would still say, you know, right when we first boots on the ground, first started, we didn't really have contact with any chieftains or a lot of the, what we did, but a lot of the major stuff didn't really start happening. 
But then as soon as the beginning of 2002 started rolling around, we started going in there with a lot more force and bigger stuff. And we started having a lot of stuff happening. We had those warlords come down and some of the chieftains. And we had, why can't I remember that one guy's name? Man, TBI gets you sometimes. You know, it would take me too long to figure it out. Sure. Yeah. But so much was going on. We could have had peace in 2002. And that's what breaks my heart is the fact that a lot of people, a lot of suffering on both sides of the Afghan people and us. And then the longer we're there, and you have to understand guerrilla warfare too, the longer you're in a guerrilla war, the worse it's going to get. If you're long-term in a guerrilla war, it's never going to get better. It always gets worse. When you do guerrilla war, you got to get in there, get in there, get into the people, win them over, win the hearts and minds, do it, do it quick. Because the longer you're there, more strife happens. And Americans, you know, we, we shoot first. And so you have all these young army guys over there and stuff happens and, and civilians are being killed. Well, that was my uncle. Americans killed him. Well, I'm Taliban now, you know? And so every time something happens, you have more people going to the other side because it's not our country. Now, if you had a whole bunch of people invading America, look at it that way. You know, if you killed my uncle and you were, you know, from Switzerland, you know, I hate Swiss now because you killed my uncle. I'll never change my mind on that no matter what. So the longer we were there and the more things were happening, the worse it was getting for guerrilla warfare, for unconventional, for winning them over, for trying to even build bridges and roads and stuff. There was a failed thing after O2 because we just, we, we missed that mark. We already knew where he was too. Yeah. Well, with you being, you know, very critical of American foreign policy and war based on your own experiences, and I'm sure people have come up to you before and asked this, like, if someone were to ask your opinion, a young kid, 16, 17, who says, I want to follow in your footsteps, I want to be a Navy SEAL, or maybe even be an Army Ranger, would you advise them to, knowing that they might die for something that you don't don't agree with? Well, I still agree with America. I would still die for America. I would die for our Constitution. I will die for my Constitution, but I will not die for those politicians. That's the difference. And so if there's a way for us to get back to that when we're really America again, we're no longer controlled by these greedy left and right politicians, and I'd I'd sign up again right now because our values, the American values, are are great, are good. The American Constitution, our Constitution, is a good Constitution. You know, Second Amendment it means something. First Amendment means something. Bill of Rights, all of it, everything right there. We're good, but we went off track. And so I would say to anybody that was joining the military, yes, we're good. And the more of you join and the more of you get in there, and when you see those leaders doing that stuff that you know isn't right, you know, it's your duty as an American citizen. That's not constitutional. That doesn't seem right. That's not whatever it would be. You know, you got to speak up. You know, and if you're in the agency, if you're in the FBI, if you're in law enforcement, you know, Uvalde is a perfect example. Man, if you had even one SEAL team guy down there in Uvalde, it would have been a whole different story. Because we wouldn't have said no. We wouldn't have let them. said, if you're going to have to shoot me, if that school is in there and I hear shooting going on, I know it's the guy in there shooting and killing kids. You better believe if I was anywhere near there, I would have gone in without a gun, no body armor, no nothing. I would have gone in with a knife. I would have gone with a pool cue. Hmm. For them to stand there for almost an hour. Which, if you're in law enforcement, you see your chief or your sheriff or your anybody, your leadership, your lieutenant, and they're giving you an unlawful order, 
then it's your duty to do what you need to do. So unlawful order would be down there, let them kid die. You know, you're a law enforcement officer, you're a peace officer. It doesn't matter when you start talking about color, you start talking about Latinos or whites and blacks and all the other stuff. None of that matters. You're an American citizen. And it's your duty to protect that person, no matter what. Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, I don't care who you are. If you're an American, I want to protect you. And that's how we are in the military. And it breaks my heart to see those kids dying like that. It shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like these school shootings, even though I'm much younger than you, I'm 36, it's like a relatively new phenomenon because after Columbine, there was just like copycat shooting after copycat shooting. And I think people on left and right are not coming to any type of a solution on the right. It's just let's have more officers in schools or or let's have higher security. And on the left, it's like, let's make everything a gun-free zone. And and I don't think those are really viable solutions. Yeah, I think see people say like bring veterans in there or like retired law enforcement officers and do that i think having a veteran in a school with a gun is probably the, one of the worst ideas what why though considering what you just said about if you had a, a team guy in the building because they're going to be there every day they're not there for their emergency so if you have a bunch of kids fighting in a hallway what's that veteran going to do so what what would your solution be if it was veterans or it was people, you'd have to have some training. You'd have to have some legal, a lot of more legal training than anything. And it would have to be like really controlled. If you had anybody in those schools, it would be under like in the principal's office, like you'd be in the office and you're not allowed to leave that office until something bad happens. If kids are fighting in the hallway and a veteran goes over there and breaks it up, that school is being sued. Yeah. If that veteran, that veteran does anything, unless it's an active shooter, that school will be sued. And that's the problem. It's because we want to help. We, we're like, so what it would have to be? It'd have to be very strict. Here's your seat. And it's be a comfortable, lean back, easy boy chair that you can just sit back like this and be like, all right. And that's all you do. You just sit there and watch TV. You just hang out. You're ready. You're a QRF. And if you had a QRF right there in a the school with gun on, don't do anything else. You're QRF. Okay. That makes sense. I, I will agree with that. And I 100% would support that. I would say it's a great idea, but that's not what's going to happen. Well, I think part of the reason we see so many shootings and no one wants to say it, of course, the media will never say it, is that when one of these happen, it's covered 24-7. And and school, I've said it before on the, on the show, anyone who's a school shooter, a mass shooter, they're losers. They have nothing going on in their life. And this is their way to be immortal. This is the way to be like Sarnayev, who was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, looking like he was Jim Morrison, like they make rock stars out of them. When if we wouldn't mention these guys names, if we wouldn't cover it 24 yeah. seven, I think we'd see a, a, at least less of it. 100% agree. That's one of the factors. And that's a mockingbird. And it's part of one of the programs. So like I said, there's two programs when it comes to that. It's MK Ultra and Mockingbird. Now you're gonna say that I'm really whacked out now, but it's there's reasons for all these school shootings. Yeah, I mean, I think also people what? blame the psychotropic drugs a lot of the school shooters are on for sure. But there's a uh, the FBI had a lot of these people under surveillance. Yes. Before it happened, the FBI contacted one kid in Parkland 
not the FBI, I think the sheriff and other law enforcement contacted that kid in Parkland, I think like 20 something times. And it still happened. And that's psychology. I blame psychology. So what happened was as a kid like that, you can be, you know, you can't really be punished. You can't be anything. There's nothing really happens. They find out that this kid is psychologically unstable and there's stuff going on. He's making threats and things are happening. He's always a minor. And so they look at it and check it and they go, okay, no, he's, he's a minor. You know, he's just a you know, kid just being whatever, whatever, whatever reason they say. And they just let it go for whatever reasons, like HIPAA will come into effect and a lot of other things will come into effect. All kinds of privacy issues and other things because then they can't report it, do that and that. But the kid should have been pulled out of school a long time ago. There should have been other things and the threats he was making and seeing him 20 times and it still happens. Just almost every one of those shooters that's happened so far was already contacted by law enforcement previous to the shootings. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that, and there's, that suspicious? Of course. And, and there's always this red tape. And, and I don't think the problem is that we need all these new laws because I think every time this happens, let's, we need all these new laws in terms of everyone who buys a gun. There needs to be red flag laws and everything. And yeah, you're right. There was suspicion yeah, on these people. Terrible. I'm glad I don't. I don't have any guns here because I, red flag laws are ridiculous. So all, everything I have is out away from me. I'm not going to have it near me at all. Wow. Because red flag laws are so dangerous. So and that's it's going to be you know utilized. The red flag laws will be uh, weaponized and used as a tool by people to get back at other people. And then there's no repercussions for anybody doing a false, you know, false call. Yeah. Jesse Smolik made sure of that. Yeah. You can do anything you want in the world, false, and you just, you'll get slapped on the hand and not very much. And who was that other person that did a huge false thing? Another false report and all that. It ha- it's happens. And I, then- I know it's happened many times. Are, are you thinking of the um, the NASCAR driver? The- yeah, that was another one. There's yeah. been a bunch of them. Not that, that's all racial, though. But there's also, it happens in a lot of other stuff, too. So doing false reports like that, the person that does a false report, proven false report, 100% proven false report, it should be charged, and you go to court, and then you're going to be punished. So there's, there's like, that's unbelievable. And now these red flag laws, if they start weaponizing these red flag laws, you better punish the people that do the false reports. You know? And they're not gonna. They're not gonna. Yeah, no, I, I understand, yeah, where you're coming from because I think politics, it's just this is how it always is. It's yeah. never ending cycle and people have to campaign on creating new laws rather than enforcing things that are already there. Um, but yeah, you know what I wanted to ask you about it? And if you don't mind, I mean, I, the, the way that I met you the first time back when I was working at soft rep and, and Sirius XM was when Lady Valor came out and I'm going to ask you this because you made a post about this around father's day. And I just wanted to hear your take on it. Um, in Lady Valor, it's apparent that like, you don't have contact with your kids anymore from that film. Right. And I know I saw that on father's day, you wrote a post about, you know, basically saying to all the fathers out there that are setting a good example, or you're doing great work. And mm-hmm. you said something to the effect was like, I failed at this. I'm mm-hmm. wondering, like, are those relationships, is there a way of repairing them? You think at this point, because it seems like in the past year or two, you've gone through and you could get into it if you want, like a very different transformation than the person I met eight years ago. 
So I do talk to one of my kids and right. uh, talk a little bit with the other kid, but one of the kids I definitely have contact with. It's, uh, it's, I can never make it up, you know, when it's, when it's that bad, all I can do is just saying, Hey, you know, I'm here. If you need something, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to help you out. But there's nothing I can do is that a fathering, you know what I mean? So I can't give them advice or tell them anything. I can give them some money to buy a car if he wants. But if I tried to give my kids advice right now, it'd be it's so hypocritical that I don't think I could. And I, I do everything I can in my life to be do good, you know, do well and be truthful. And so if I did that, I'd, I would be a hypocrite and I'm not going to do that. So that's how I, I am with my kids right now is I, I'm there, you know, they're in their 20s, they're, they're adults, you know. If they were still teenagers, yeah, I'd do everything I could to, you know, to try to make up or do anything I could to support and help. But they're in their 20s. They don't need me, you know. All they maybe need is the fact that to look back on it and just saying, hey, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of stuff was messed up. Only recently, I've been able to break out of, uh, of really bad TBI effects. And I don't think people understand how bad, like getting blown up and having your head rattled and stuff so bad so many times that happened to me. I, uh, stuff was wrong. I was, I was, I had the stuff put on my head and they tested it and, and they found a ton of black and black and gray, you know, areas. They just were not lighting up. They were, they were, it was dead. All the explosions killed parts of my brain and made stuff not work correctly. So what I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of rewiring. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do to rewire, but it's not stuff I can talk about on here. But there's a, there's a lot of really good techniques. I mean, I've, I've read about that, the whole like neuroplasticity thing that the brain, yeah, it's not hardwired to necessarily have these habits we've had for years and years and years. We can break out of them. Yeah, yeah. And there's also uh, some chemicals that will help too, you know, and, I, and I've been experimenting and trying to find some things that would do it. And about, God, it's been almost a year now, six months again, I did it again to even clear up more. But about a year ago, I was able to go through something that that cleared up a lot of it. And it was like a fog. I swear, man, people don't know. You know, it was like if you took my glasses, you know, these glasses, and if I took sandpaper, like 80 grit sandpaper, and I sanded it, and I had a couple little spots I could see through, you know. So I only saw spots, but everything else was just a fog and fuzzy and messed up. And my memory was just, I'm remembering stuff now that I'd had no recollection of before. This stuff is just, it's reconnected and it's been gone. I was, I was in the war for a long time, man, from uh, almost my kids' entire lives. They were born in uh, 1998 and 2000. So they were little kids, right, when the war kicked off. And then uh, when I came back from the first one, I, uh, the kids would just hide from me. So I was bearded out and just like, and just, I was messed up. And, and you uh, were the and your your face is covered, but that you were the guy behind you, the uh, in the picture behind you. Yeah, I uh, they would hide from me, you know. And that was my whole two thousands. My experience with my kids for years and years was them hiding from me. And well, so, well, I don't I don't think that that's ir- my Harley right ir- here. 
I just I don't think that's irreparable though, because I could tell you if Chris was on the show, he would tell you that his older kid, um, for a while he said it on the on the show was would not smile, and Chris would ask him, "Hey, why? Like, why are you not smiling? Like, what's the issue?" And he said, "Man, when you would come back from combat from deployments, you were so mean. Like, you yeah. would just start yelling." And but now I think he's repaired that, and and I don't think uh, you'd be a hypocrite to give advice to your kids. I mean, I think. Anything, I think all of our parents, every single one of us have done stuff that we have said, man, that's fucked up. I don't, I don't know why you did that. But I think anything short of like, if your parent sexually molested you or something, I think you should be able to repair those relationships because, you know, life is too short. And I do think when people die, you're going to say, man, I wish I had a good relationship with my parents. So any, any like nonsense I could look back on and say, I wish my dad or mom did this differently. I really have let that go. And I have a great relationship with my parents because I do, it actually goes back to the same thing you said with therapy. I think people go to therapy and it's like years and years and years of trying to like forgive them for these things. You just got to let it go and, and realize that everybody's human and everybody's doing their best and everybody's going to make mistakes. So I, I don't see any reason why you, you can't be a role model to them because you've done so much. I mean, you've had a 20 plus year military co- uh, career, did great things for the country have done great things as a public speaker and and you've been a role model to a ton of people and i even think in the past few years whether you disagree with some of the decisions you've made some of the things you fought for i think everybody could look back and say is right the fact that you were denied going to teammates funerals and stuff because of how you looked i think everybody should agree that's messed up yeah yeah i uh but looking back at those years with the kids i'd I would just ride my motorcycle. I'd be on a Harley and I would just drink a lot. And it's not, I mean, yeah, it's not as drastic as what you says. Anything, that kind of abuse, yeah, it's unforgivable. That person should be in jail or not, no longer walking this earth. That's how I feel about those people, you know? And that's going into that same line. It's like these drag queens are out there dancing for kids, you know? I just think that's ridiculous. That's the same thing. I put that in the same category. That's abuse, you know, and you know what I'm talking about? So these, these people are dressing up in very sexually, uh, like revealing outfits and men in women's clothing and very sexually revealing outfits, dancing for kids. Now, I don't care if you're a woman dressed up in women's clothing and you're doing pole dancing, it's the same thing. You don't do that for kids. You know, and people say, well, you just don't like it because they're drag queens. I said, no, if it was pole dancers, I would say the same thing. If you're a stripper, I would say the same thing. If you're dancing sexually, explicitly and dressed like that in front of a kid, it's not right. And you know, it's not right. Even the drag queens when they're running around, one of them had like boobs were flopping around and she like started covering her boobs up because she knew it wasn't right. You know, and what you're doing is you're also exposing all these kids because it's an open invitation to these shows. It's a dra- open invitation, all ages, babies and kids. And who else do you think is going to show up there? You know, those people who would be abusive to children are going to be there because they know kids are there and they can dress up however they want. And so you don't think a bunch of pedos are going to dress up and try to go to these places and just be there. And then they can dream about that later on at night. Or even maybe, I don't know if they're going to do something. I'm just like, why would you expose kids and babies and stuff like that to an environment that they don't need to be in? It just, it does not make any sense. 
And then taking it even a step further, when you start talking about these transgender kids who are 10, 13, 14 years old, and they're going into the psychologist and saying, hey, I'm transgender to a psychologist. Psychologist says, oh, goody. And they start putting them on hormone replacement therapy, which is basically the same drugs they give to uh, criminals who they want to chemically castrate. It's the same drugs they're giving these kids. And you don't have to have consent. You don't have to have anything else. All you have to do is say the word, and they're going to start giving you these chemical castration pills. And, and I mean, it's, come on, man. Yeah, it's, it's needless to say, like, you come from a unique perspective on this, of course. And, and yeah. I would even just say from like the science backed perspective as someone who just sees the news going on, sees things going on in society. How many bodybuilders, right, are dropping dead from steroid abuse? Yeah. And that's yep. men taking male hormones. That's yep. grown men taking male hormones. So then when I think of children taking male or female hormones, to think there's not going to be any type of a uh, consequence to that, I think is putting your head in the sand. All you got to do is look at Sweden. So Sweden's about 10 years ahead of the United States in this area for gender stuff. So uh, Sweden's pretty much putting a moratorium and saying stop, and they're, they're stopping everything. Because now it's been enough time. If you figure Sweden's been doing this stuff, chemically castrating kids and doing other stuff to the kids 10 years ago, the data right now, these kids are now in their 20s. Now they have the data. The problem with the United States is they're not looking at the data. They're using emotions or feelings. They're saying, hey, Kristen Beck just said that a 12-year-old is not allowed to have hormone replacement therapy. I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, it's dangerous, not enough data. I said, if you go to Sweden, check the data, start finding out what's happening to all these 20-year-olds that have been on this since they were 10, let's look at that. What are the side effects? What's happening? Where are they at right now? What's the suicide rate of all those kids who are now in their 20s or even made it to their 20s? The suicide rate of all those kids that did all that way back in the old days is higher than the average of anything, than anything anybody can even imagine. So why is that? So there's so much going on right now. Just look at the data from Sweden. And it's not, I like drag queens. I have friends, a couple of friends of them. Some of them are freaking hilarious. They're the coolest people you ever meet. Some of them, they're, and those are not the ones that are dancing for kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not friend. Well, the, they're not bad people. Of What's course, happening yeah. now, some of them being put in a position well, they need to make money. You know, that's their job. That's how they make money. They get dollar bills when they're dancing like that and they get paid by the bar. So when they're paid by the bar and they get all these dollars from all these people and you have somebody who does that for a living, everybody's having a really tough times right now. So now these people are being put in a position where they're, they're, made, they're just like, well, I have to make a living. I got to pay the bills. I'm going to go dance at that place because that's all I can do. And it's shameful that those people are being put in those positions. I feel really bad for them, but I, they should not be going to those places and dancing for kids. And the same thing for all psychologists. You need to start raising your hand if you're a psychologist, psychiatry, or anything like that. You used to follow WPATH, W-P-A-T-H. And it's, a, it's a, a whole bunch of hurdles. You know, in the military for me to become a SEAL, you know how many hurdles I had to jump through? Now, they don't just hand you a diploma and say, hey, I want to be a SEAL. And they say, oh, here, here's your diploma. That's what they're doing to kids right now. And when I became a SEAL, it was much easier than doing transgender stuff. Believe it or not, because becoming a SEAL isn't, life, isn't totally life-altering forever. 
Well, it is a little bit because you get in really good shape and you become a monster. <laughs> yeah. But if you're given all these hormones and this, this castration pills to these kids who are 12 years old, do you think their mind has developed yet enough to make these changing dis- their life forever? They even say in psychology, the kids' brains aren't developed. I did all that, all that for human development, all that. We had to study from like day one conception all the way through till the kid is 25 years old. I had to study all that. And then we had to study after that. You know why we studied from conception to 25? Because that's the amount of time it takes to fully develop a human brain. Yeah. Be able to make those decisions and do everything you need to do. So why are we letting 12-year-olds make a decision like that? Yeah, they sure. need to just, like, just like, um, you know, younger kids drinking alcohol, it's going to affect yeah. them a lot differently than you. But it, it's got to be strange to you that, you know, I feel like, like I said, when I met you eight years ago, you were an icon in a certain, um, I, I would say you were a pioneer and an icon in a yeah. certain group, and yeah. you are no longer an ally of that group the way that they see Oh, no, them. no. I'm the greatest ally they ever had. I am their best ally. I'm the one that's going to save more lives right now than anyone ever did when it comes to gender and gender therapy, hormone replacement therapy, gender reassignment, doing all those surgeries and everything else, I'm the greatest ally they ever had. I'm gonna save more lives than anyone ever did in that community. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, transgender, the way they're defining it right now, all of it is made up, it's make-believe. So do you feel like you were a victim of that? This psychologist in the beginning, when I first started talking about this stuff, didn't do right with me. I think they did great damage. And I don't think I'm ever going to recover from it. And I'm paying every day for a psychologist. Well, also, I mean, when I met you is, and as long as you don't mind me talking about this. Day one, I hated that psychologist after I figured out what was going on. Yeah. I don't think that person, I had lawsuits and everything against that person to stop and i couldn't stop it and so what happens when you're on an avalanche and you're sitting there rolling down a hill and everybody's love bombing you in the cult yeah like i said and if you don't mind me you know getting into this a little bit because i want to you know i want to make sure it's a varied interview and we've covered a ton of topics but like i'm a seal i'm saving lives i want to save lives i'm doing the same thing i'm defending and saving lives well and i was going to say that when i saw you and you know you you dressed differently than when i met when i met you in person is when you got the facial feminization surgery when you got the breast enhancement and all that and like you seem like that is not who you are today and i mean you're still christian back though or i'm still me i'm still 100 me i'm still that weird seal you know, I have stuff going on in my life that most people would never have to deal with. And I'm glad because this is not an easy road. I, uh, I really believe that the creator, God's great spirit, the great energy, that big alien with the purple, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, I know what I call that. Yahweh, because it's a breath, it's a spirit, it's how I breathe. I breathe God's name every time I breathe, Yahweh. And there's, I have a whole stuff on that. That's a whole different thing. But um, we aren't given anything in our lives that we can't handle. And so whatever I'm going through right now was something that 
was given to me as a challenge to do whatever. And I can't figure it out yet because this is ridiculously painful. And, uh, and it's the same thing as happening to all these kids. And the thing is, is like, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people are the way they are, you know, and it goes back to childhood trauma. It goes back to how you're raised. It goes back to just a single parent. It goes back to a double parent house. It goes back to divorce. It goes back to how you were educated in Christian school or a public school. It goes back to you were raised in the city, the country. There are so many factors. Another factor is, is uh, sexual energy, masculine and feminine energies, and they're real. And we're sexual beings. Procreation is how we survive. It's how we become a species and we keep going into the future. We have, we have sex to do that. But sexual energy is also another thing besides just, you know, the physical side of it. There's also an energy side of it. And uh, I grew up in a very Christian bubble where the word sex was verboten. If you even said the word sex, you'd probably get paddled. I was a virgin until I was 22 years old. I was very uh, naive and I'm very um, confused by that. And there was no sexual trauma or anything ever happened in my past, zero, you know, in any way. And, uh, but I'm very, uh, all, all these kids need to have a lot more conversations. All these kids that are in the teenagers that are that are saying transgender or non-binary or any of this stuff, if they say if they just walk into a psychologist's office and they say, "Hey, I'm transgender," the psychologist goes, "Okay," and they have a short talk and they do it, and basically, the kids transgender once they say it. That's how, that's the new rule, and that rule is dangerous, and you have to have conversations because if you have a teenager in there. I know what to ask that person because I went through it and I know the hard questions and I know the questions that they won't answer honestly. And I know the questions right now that if you ask me, I won't answer honestly because it's so painful. It really, it's right down to the center of my soul, you know, yeah. and um, everybody wants to be wanted. Everybody wants to find love. Everybody wants something. And there's a whole group of people that never find it. And those are the people that are preyed upon. And I don't know, I wasn't really one of those people, but I kind of thought I was. And so I might have just stayed away from everybody just for that reason. So I made myself stand out enough that my sexuality was never developed. Does that make any sense a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I, I think, you you know, like I said, Lady Valor and, and the funny thing about Lady Valor is that I've said this to you before. I I always uh, have to praise you for. I don't know your input, but from the interview I had, it got used in the film at the very beginning, which I didn't even know until I watched it. And so I still put on resumes that I've been heard on CNN. That's where I was heard on CNN. But I I remember the clip is me even saying to you that like when people think of Navy Seal, they think of the most masculine, macho. Uh, alpha male subsection of of the world really and the last thing they think of is transgender and even you on paper i would say come off 
as a more manly guy than me. Like you like to shoot guns, you ride motorcycles, you, you, you know, you, you are physically at, at your peak in terms of strength and all that. So I think you are like this uh, dichotomy of two different people. And yeah, it sounds like that's what was preyed upon maybe. Yeah. I, I, I got to write a book. Cause, um, which you did, but I know for you that that no, book no longer no, that represents book, that you, book, right? That book, that book is it still has me in debt. I uh, the lawsuit, everything was about that book. Was I hated that book? I still hate it. A lot of stuff in that book is not me. It was written by a psychologist for me because I told her I would not speak to her ever again. So she made a lot of stuff up. So a lot of stuff in that book is not me at all, and that's why I never, I've never read that book. I, as soon as I said, "Do not publish." I need to change this stuff. This is not correct. Do not publish. And then I had a lawyer saying to the publisher, do not publish because it's not correct. And uh, they did it anyway. And I fought it and it cost me a ton of money to fight it. Their lawyers took everything. And then, um, and then I ended up having to pull the lawsuit back for some other reasons. And uh, don't believe that book. I never, I never read it. I just know that it's even from, even at the time that the documentary came out, you hated the book, I know. Oh, so, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I boycott the book. I even do my own uh, evaluations of the book. So I wake up in the middle of the night a lot of times, and I write stuff. So this is like a night, like 3 o'clock in the morning waking up. And so this is part of a formula and some stuff. And it goes on all the yin and yang, and it goes into a bunch of other stuff. And it goes into God and some other theories. And it goes on page after page. And I, I've been writing all this stuff for a long time. And because uh, I because I go to sleep at night, and I always go to sleep with purpose. And that's another one of the techniques. And and I always end up having solutions. I have stuff and I even I even come down with like number theory where I can do the geometric shapes of of feelings, which is pretty crazy. But we're, we're hurting the kids. It's destructive. Now, there's a lot of transgender people, but I wouldn't use the word transgender. But I, there's a lot of people out there that that definitely need to go through a journey. But and you that's can't. You. Start and that's you. You feel. Yeah, and but there's also a lot of people out there that are, you know, that's that's a female, you know, and you look at that person, that's a male, and they say, well, they're they're, you say, well, that's that's who they are, you know. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, a lot of them are on, you know, YouTube, like I'm sure I'm guessing you're familiar with like Blair White. If I saw Blair yeah. White in the streets, I would yeah. never think that that was formerly. But, but you're only talking about the physical and I'm not even yeah. talking about the physical. I'm talking about the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual, the mental, and then finally the physical. But that's a problem with these kids is they're teenagers going in there and talking to a psychologist and then they're automatically transgender. They're on castration pills. Then they're getting mastectomies. These little girls you know, 12, 13, 14 year old girl getting a mastectomy is having, having everything chopped off surgery. And they're not looking at all the other issues. As soon as you say transgender to psychologist, that's the primary issue. And then you go to the DSM and they look up transgender and say, that's the primary issue. The primary uh, diagnosis is transgender. I say, yeah, but what about anxiety? What about depression? What about trauma? What about PTSD? What about, and I can go through the whole lineage of it. And I can say, uh, you know, adjustment disorder. And I can, I can go through a whole bunch of stuff and go run through the DSM. They're not doing that. And so that's why I said in one of my posts I wrote, I said transgender um, 
overtakes all other uh, DSM diagnoses for mental health anything. As soon as you say transgender, that's a primary diagnosis. Everything else, else goes out the door. Yeah. Where I say transgender should be the last because that's drugs and surgery and everything else. What I want to do is I want to bring all these kids in and say, hey, you know, let's let's talk, you know, and this is going to be a 10 sessions. I say it's not, it's not forever. You know, let's go through these 10 sessions, one hour each, so 10 hours, and then we can go wherever you want from there. Yeah, you you would be the right person to talk to about this as well. Would, um, and kids would figure it out. He says, well, "Okay, I, I want to wait," and then, yeah. and then they wait till they're twenty one, twenty two, whatever, or they don't. And if they don't, that's fine. But they went through the ten sessions, and they know for sure because it's not depression. Okay, we we talked about all this stuff, and I've worked with you, and we we do this, and I see other stuff, and I'm I'm watching, and I have you do homework assignments. There's a whole bunch of homework assignments for them as they go home and a lot of it is very private that i'm not going to talk about on here but there's there's things that they're not doing and i and i it, it, i tell you right now it breaks my heart that these kids right now are are being destroyed for like this god or this cult of transgender and i call transgenderism a cult right now because if you look at the definition of a cult Right now, you know how bad I'm ostracized in the transgender community? For sure, I yes. I said, because I said to drag queens, don't dance in front of kids. Because I said, transgender, if you're a teenager, you do 10 sessions and you go a double path. You don't give them castration chemicals as a teenager. You don't give them any surgeries as a teenager until you go through these 10 sessions. You do this, you do this. You do all these homework assignments. And there's a battery of tests I'm going to do too because there's a lot of really good ones. And uh, after you do all that, and then you want to do, you know, prescriptions and you want to do surgery and all that, you know, fine, 100%, because that's right for you. I want to make sure, because what, what we do to our surgeries and stuff, you can't change this. Yeah, and, and you are speaking from experience on that. So I think it's important to have someone like you in the forefront um, to, to give your perspective on it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you one other thing. Like for me... I, I'm, I was happy. I'm not happy right now. But I also will not do any damage to kids ever. And so if I, if it takes more pain for me or even my death, I don't care. Well, at what point were you, were you not happy anymore? It's because of all this is going on. Yeah. Because right now I go out in public right now. And then I, I grow my beard out now and grow my facial hair and I go out with a hat on and I, and I wear a hat real low and I always wear my flannel shirt now because I don't want any kid to ever look over and saying, hey, mommy, your little girl is going to look over at me and go, hey, mommy, that looks like a man. And the mom goes, yeah, what? that's a man, but dressed up. And it's like, no, I don't even want that to happen now because they've made it so bad. They've... They have made it such a such a bad thing and, and so pervasive and so cultish that some of us have to start standing up and saying, hey, no, here is me and I've done all this and I can tell you right now and all these kids right now, this is a cult. You're being love bombed. And what cult started the word love bomb? It was um, 
It could be the uh, the Moonies. What was that? I think they started love bombing. Was that Jim Jones or? Look up the term love bomb and look at what it means. And look up the term yeah. um, ostracization. Look at the term when you you outcast. So right now I'm an outcast of the transgender community because I'm speaking out. And so that's the same thing that cults do. If you speak out, then you're you're cast out. You are uh, excommunicated. You are everything. I think it was the Moonies. But okay. you also maybe crash and you have the stuff down in drinking a Kool-Aid and all yeah, these things. But you can check it out if you study cults. Anyone out there who studies cults, please do a side-by-side comparison of the definition of cult and the LGBTQ community with transgender. Transgenderism is a cult today. I mean, it wasn't in the past. In the past, it was a it was like a very well documented, uh, double checked, a lot of things you had to go through, and it wasn't something that was congratulated. And yeah. darn it, it started to be congratulated with Caitlyn Jenner and me. And I don't want anybody to ever say that walking out your front door wearing a dress is courageous. That's not courageous. But I think what was courageous for you was was speaking out, like I said, about the fact that you were barred from going to teammates funerals, things like that. And I do think it was courageous to say, Hey, there's no reason I shouldn't be let in to a teammates funeral. And I always stood with you on that type of stuff when yeah. I heard it. And, and I do think it's ridiculous. Some of the comments, I just know I'm going to post a picture of you, right. When we put this up and there's always going to be hate comments and it's like, yeah. fuck those people. They don't know your whole story. If they put the big beard picture up with the seal team six crap. I, I like any picture of you, you know, because I think it's all part of your journey. I think it's all anybody ever cares about. And yeah. else, that's like the least of my life. Well, I, speaking of like the most of your life. Minister. Do you know I'm an ordained minister? That I didn't know. That I didn't know. <laughs> I get, there's, I make knives. I'm a forge. I forge knives. I make my own knives. That's pretty cool. I mean, I know that you're a handy person, um, but I, I wanted to ask you something in terms handy of- Handyman. Like, I'm a handyman. Handyman. So in terms of like the, the most important stuff that you've done in your life, which I think a lot of that is your SEAL career, uh, we started talking off about Joe Rogan. I was curious about this. Do you think Joe Rogan is the type of guy who just wants to be a SEAL so badly? Because when I look at the people whose careers that he helped launch, it's a lot of SEALs. I mean, he's had Rangers on. He's had like Pat McNamara, who's uh, former Delta. But like the big guys that he's really helped launch their careers, and I even wrote it down, David Goggins, Jocko yeah. Willink, Jack Carr, I think to some extent Dan Crenshaw had you on. Yeah. And uh, hanging out with the guy, do you think- I do he- have all, of the all those names you just named. Um, Yeah, a little bit, but doesn't everybody? Don't you? <laughs> do I want to be a SEAL? Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> I don't think I aspired to it, though, because I, I think there are people who, who and I've been around these people who will go up to someone like you and they'll be like, Kristen, do you think I could have been a SEAL? I thought of becoming a SEAL. And it's like, well, you didn't. So who cares? Yeah. Well, here's why I said everybody wants to be. Everybody wants to be an astronaut. Everybody wants to be a SEAL. Everybody wants to. It's all that. But the reason they want to do that, because it's easy to say, because it's all they see is the movies and they see the glamour. They see everybody running around all like, ah, and amazing. They don't see all the pain. They don't see the work out there. They don't see Craig Sawyer on the grinder at Sunday for three hours just just with a toothbrush, cleaning one, you know, one thing. You know, there's and then so yeah, it's easy. Everybody wants to be a seal on a sunny day. Everybody wants to be a frogman when it's when it's sunny and nice. But when it's dark and it's raining and you're underwater for six hours in 45 degree weather, nobody wants to be a seal. So yeah, everybody wants to be a seal. Because it's just that part of it. And so Joe is doing all of that stuff. 
He's doing the MMA. He's doing all the lifting. He's doing the running. He's around all the guys. He's drinking with them. He's partying with them. He's doing all the fun part of the SEAL teams. So, yeah, why not? I would. If I was Joe, I'd be, hell yeah. I want to work with those guys. Because you know what happens when you work out with a SEAL? You're going to work out. You're going to yeah. do really good. And the whole time, the SEAL team guys can be like, we can't help it. We always talk about lessons learned, even when we're working out. If like, hey, Joe, you, hey, I just saw you do that, man. Because hey, we always want to improve. Everything we have to do is improvement. Sure. Every individual SEAL, you always see them every second of their life trying to improve. Because it's individuals that make the team great. And we know that. We know our entire team is made up of those thousand guys that helped Rob get to the target. And he knows that. The reason I was there is because I was an expert. I was a specialist. I was the best at what I did. And Damn Neck recruited me to be there, to do that one job. I didn't go through Green Team. You can say I wasn't really a SEAL Team 6 guy. I don't care. I was there. I was on a team roster. They gave me orders. I was a SEAL on a team without going through Green. Because I specialized so hardcore in one thing, they needed me. Yeah, and and also you got to keep in mind it's only, it's only happened like three times in history of SEAL Team Six. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. But you, you got to permanent there. It's only happened a couple times. Well, I was gonna say, you know, kind of much like myself, but even more so for Rogan. Rogan is also only talking to SEALs who are out there in the public who wrote books, were public speakers, and it's like that's such a tiny portion of this entire group because many of these guys go on to start businesses, do other things, and they're not out there in the public space. They've gone on to private lives. And I'll tell you another reason why. Here's another one. Okay. That, what you're saying with Joe and all that is right here. You know what this is? Is that like ring the bell? What is that? Sorry. No, it's one inch, it's one inch tubular nylon. It's just a okay. strip. It's a beat up, nasty, freaking, yeah, just like right now, all the memories are coming back from this one thing. And this is one of the greatest lessons I had in my life was this right here. If I had to get rid of all my SEAL team stuff, everything on that wall, do you know what I would keep? I would keep this thing right here. This is all I need. I was in Sri Lanka after 9-11, after we were in Sri Lanka. It was Tamil Tigers and stuff were going on north. But uh, I was down there with the Sri Lankans and I had an AK. And the AK was, was someone else's because I had my, my, the pig. I had a 249 and I had uh, my M4, of course. And then I got an AK. And it had this on there as a sling. That was a sling. And the sling was attached. And we were swimming, and I was out there getting just beat to shit in these waves. And uh, this end came off. It untied in the water because I was just getting beat. And that one end came untied, and the gun went whoosh. I was in the surf zone getting thrashed. And I was like, ah. And I came up on the shore, and I was like, and I was a chief at the time. And uh, I was pissed. And I was, I was just like, and I was mad at myself. And I was like, and I was running through my head what happened and what went on. And I said, it came untied because I actually felt it when I was swimming. I felt this part go like that. And I was like grabbing, and I felt it go, and the gun was gone. Damn. I, uh, man, I took it out on my platoon and I was an asshole. 
And I was, uh, I was, it, that put me into this like really stupid depression and pissed off. And like, and I was going down to that beach that we swam on and, uh, I was swimming out there just looking for it and days, it was two days on the second day. And I, I rented all the scuba equipment from this one town and I outfitted my entire seal platoon with scuba tanks and all the gear. Cause we didn't have a gear then cause we were, it was land. We didn't even bring any scuba. So I rented all of it and it was like, it was a lot of money. And I was like, no, we're going to find this. And I got everybody in gear and we were out there doing Jack's day searches and doing all these searches on a whole section of beach. And I was doing it with just snorkels because I was up close. Other guys were deep. And I was in the sand, and the only thing that was sticking out of the sand was about this much. It was about a foot of it, and it was doing that. And I was on the bottom with my arms just because it was black and surf zone. I was doing that, and I hit it, and it hit my arm. And I was like, oh, shit. I came up, got a breath, went back down. I started trying to pull it out of the ground because it was sunk in the sand. It was under sand, like feet of sand, only sticking out by this. And we ended up pulling it out of the sand. And I uh, brought it up on the shore, and it was rusty and kind of messed up. And cleaned it up, fixed it, and I kept this. Wow. I was such a fucking dick. We'll keep that <laughs> up. I, uh, I, I, I hurt my guys because I was so pissed at myself. And so, like, I let it eat me up, and I just let it just hurt. And it bled out to the platoon because I was a chief. And I think it was – I can't – I look back on that and I just say to every one of those SEAL team guys, I'm saying, man, if, if any one of you guys would have seen that and saw what was going on, and if we would freaking understand a little bit more psychology and do a little bit more about people stuff, somebody would have seen it and said, hey, Beck, dude, you lost it and it was messed up and we found it. Dude, snap out of it. Come on, let's go. If somebody would have said that one thing to me, I've been like, yeah, you're right. Let's go. And it would only have been two days of pissed off or three days of pissed off. And then it would have fixed. It would have been fine. But I just kept, like, you know, and I just kept, it was always in my mind, always eating at me. I never let it go. Would not let it go. And I should have. Yeah. You know, and I did. So I think that's why it's important that you have these artifacts around you to draw from, yeah. uh, basically draw lessons from. Uh, yeah. we've, we've gone pretty long here. So the last know. thing I'm, yeah, last thing I'm wondering is, I mean, what's next on the horizon for you? Is it more public speaking? I know that you do a lot of stuff with the uh, Purple Heart Association. Is it Purple Heart Association? Do I have it right? The military order of the Purple Heart. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big group. We have like fifty or 60,000 members. And uh, I was a region commander. So I was a commander from Virginia up to Maine, the entire eastern seaboard. And uh, so I think it was like, 16 or 17,000 people in that area, Purple Hearts. And uh, so I was the commander for that region. And uh, I, uh, damn, I made a couple mistakes there too. You definitely, I, I, I will always admit to my mistakes and I'll try to do better, you know? And uh, it's just, that's the way SEAL teams, I think that's why we do best. Because if we're first to admit, hey, I, I messed this up. Well, maybe not that one time with the AK. <laughs> but but uh dude just everybody makes mistakes you know we yeah. all cares you know and right now if politicians any of any politicians are out there listening to me please admit a mistake and say you made a mistake hey something's going on or this changed we have more data and we had to shift you know you're allowed to shift fire 
You know, and compromise is not a bad thing. If you reach across the aisle to a Democrat or Republican and you say, hey, man, you guys have that and we have this one and we can kind of let's meet here in the middle. That's American politics. That's what we should be doing. Yeah, even and as well as mainstream media, too, I feel like they're they're rarely quick to admit a mistake. And if I get something wrong on the podcast, I'll always go on the next episode and say, hey, someone corrected me. I got this email. I got this wrong. I think it's important. They never admit their mistakes. Yeah. And it'll never improve. It's always going to be the same thing. You're going to keep doing it. And that's what I did in Sri Lanka. I made a mistake and I didn't, it, I didn't accept it. I did, I fixed it, but I didn't fix it in my own head. So it was never fixed. It was never fixed until years later, tell you the truth. Like yeah. all these guys in that platoon, they probably still think I'm a, I'm a jerk, like the biggest, the worst chief ever from that one episode. And if you would have gone before that, I probably would have been one of the best ones up to that point, you know? Cause I really like, I had all the quals and I was doing all the stuff and like when never to need anything done, it was like, Hey, just get back. You know? Cause I was, I did all of it, you know, yeah. all the qualifications. I just, damn it. Well, you're probably being tougher on yourself all these years later. And I'm sure that they have so many more. Yeah. They, they, they probably have so many other memories that they might not even remember this, but yeah. So as I was saying though, for, for people listening, you know, and wrapping this up here, what, what, what's next on the horizon for you? What are the next things you're going to be working on? What should people look out for? Well, I was in mental health counseling and I had a severe philosophical disagreement with the university uh alpha university here in new york it's in western new york real small school and uh, i didn't know you were in new york now okay yeah yeah well i went back here because this is where my family was a lot of cousins and all the farms so this is where the farm is so i go right there and uh so as far as survivability all my cousins are here and all my farming cousins so i mean it's like hundreds and hundreds of acres of farms you know yeah, people forget how you know as someone from Long Island now in Connecticut and, and has traveled around the state, of course, around New York. People, I think, they, where Chris is, right, in, like, Kansas, they think of New York as Midtown Manhattan, and yeah. that's it. And it's a gigantic state. It really is. I uh, So, yeah, so I, I left that. I, uh, I don't believe a university should teach hate. And if a university teaches hate, and then someone as a student says, you know, hey, I don't agree with that. And then because you disagree with a professor, you get failed. I, I That's pretty messed up, you know? <laughs> so I'm there as a graduate student, you know, I have a lot of knowledge. And if I'm telling you that I've, I, this is something that I don't agree with of what you're teaching right now, and this is more what I believe, but I would, it's, it's, it's me, I'm a grad student. I should be able to do that. There should be able to challenge. You know, any student should be able to challenge a uh, university professor because that's what that's the environment to try to expand the knowledge and keep pushing the envelopes. So I got failed for uh, voicing my opinion that a university should not teach hate. Like you shouldn't teach white people to hate black people. You should not also teach black people to hate white people. You should teach us that, hey, we're culturally different. Let's figure out our cultures. And then let's, where can we work together? What, what culturally different is causing this strife or what's going on? Now, is it only the past? Is it because in the past, you know, there were some slaves? Well, you have to also consider that in the past, we weren't the only country that did it and it went on throughout history. We were, however, the first country in history to fight each other over slavery, to actually cause a civil war that almost destroyed the country over slavery. 
Were we the first country to ever do that? Look that up. Now, if we were the first country to ever do that, to really massively war, and then it spread around the whole world after that, then aren't we the good guys? Hmm. And shouldn't they be teaching that? Shouldn't they be teaching how to build those bridges, how to make peace, how to bring the cultures together so we no longer are at war? That should be what's taught, not teaching further hate. And that's what the universities are teaching right now. And it's also bleeding down to high schools. Do you know anything about Norm, uh, Noam Chomsky? Selinsky? Yeah, I, I know of Noam Chomsky, yeah. yeah there's, there's a lot of stuff being taught right now that's very, very bad. It's evil. If you're teaching hate, that's evil. You know, that's all on that side. It's a, it's a hateful, evil thing, you know? If you promote that, you promote it because you're making money off it, dang, that's like, whoa. Talk about some bad juju. It's like, wow, is that bad? I don't know. Can you delete that? That's some bad stuff. I don't see. I don't even know what words we can use anymore. I think I think you're That's fine, like but but like, uh, when you say Jews had bad juice. The juju. Well, I I am Jewish. I mean, not religiously, but uh, like culturally and all that. So no, I, I, I'm telling word, you, it's okay. <laughs> Jew is juice. You know, but it's gonna be construed because they think I spelled it. It's not J O O. No, 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 J U J U. Right? Yeah. Yeah, J U. I I think you're I think you're good. But as but to problem right now, that I even have to question that because we're so freaking messed up as a country that we all have to like watch our language, make sure I don't offend anybody because then I'll be canceled and then everybody's gonna be mad at me because I said that word. It's yeah. like, oh my god, seriously, give me a break, man. <laughs> well. Going back to, before we wrap this up, my actual oh. original question, what are you working on? So I'm out of the mental health council. I'm not doing it anymore, but I am still okay. doing recording, and I'm doing uh, public speaking, motivation, leadership. I try to take my lessons like this, and I try to wrap them up in a whole talk to try to have improvements with people. Stuff that you remember, like hardcore. You know, you're never going to forget that one story I gave you. I went into the middle of a firefight. It wasn't even a firefight at the time. It was just, it was just starting. It was like the beginning of, of shooting. And uh, there was a baby's crib in the middle of this room. And I, I went in, I went off the wall, the fatal funnel in the wall. I went in in the middle of the room and got the baby out of the situation before all the shooting started. Luckily, wow. I was out where everything really went. Then everything started blowing up and fires everywhere. And dude, yeah, just, but my first instinct was getting the baby, you know, was saving that kid because I knew it was going to get bad. And so I was like, first thing I saw was get the kid out of there. So I got the kid out. And what does that mean as far as like me talking in front of a bunch of people? You know, it means that I put myself out there. I put myself in danger. I was putting myself that I was going to be killed. You can do that every day. Not the being killed part, but saving somebody. It was in that kind of danger, that death danger that you can do that every day. With a smile, with a handshake, with just being friendly, with just like just not walking around with fists, but walking around a little more open, walking around maybe with a smile on your face instead of always being so angry. You don't know that person that you just walked past and you're going like, ah, fuck you. That person going by was having a way worse day than you were. They needed something. Then they go home and now they're no longer here. Or if you like give that person a, a, you know, a rash of crap, you know, don't know what that person's going through. So every day in your life right now, you don't know what that person that you're seeing is going through. You could actually save that person's life just by being friendly. Now, yeah. that kid in the middle of a firefight, the kid doing all the baby stuff, yeah, I hope that you won't ever have anything that drastic. But you could. You might be on a subway and you see four people bullying somebody. 
if you intervene, it might be able to save that person. Because when they go home, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. There's ways that you can save people's lives right now. Me doing what I'm doing right now. Hopefully, if it wakes up a couple of parents that say, or a kid, a teenager, goes, wow, well, you know what? Maybe I should go see somebody and talk about some more of this stuff. Or, or maybe ask these questions, these hard, difficult questions that Kristen wants to ask so badly that I can't even share on here. Because I don't want to get into a lot of stuff. But I'm telling you right now. So what am I doing right now? What's my next thing? I, mean, I talked to Craig Sawyer a little while ago, and he's got this thing, um, Veterans for uh, Child uh, Rescue. Yeah, um, I know he does a lot of that. You know about his daughter? Do you know about I don't know about his daughter. I know he does a lot to combat uh, human trafficking. You should have Craig Sawyer on here, man. That guy, I want to do anything I can to help him. And so what am I doing right now? I'm saving lives. Awesome. That's all I'm doing. That's the only thing I want to do. Oh, and my fiance, Courtney. So I have a fiance, Courtney. She's here with me. And uh, so I'm doing a lot of that too, like family stuff. Family stuff. Yeah, that's that's um, great. That's great to hear. And it's good to hear that you're in a good space now and just doing uh, doing great work. So if people want to follow you, it's... TBI, the TBI, for all of you all out there that were in the explosions, were in veterans, if you're a breacher especially, TBI can be, can be helped. So And there's ways to do it. Talk to Boone Cutler. TBI and some other cool stuff. Boone Cutler would be another really good one for you. Yeah, he actually uh, messaged me recently, so maybe we'll get him on. I know he knows Chris. Yeah. So uh, at Valor, the number four US, at Valor for US. And we'll do something in the future with Chris when he's uh, back in, in business. I know he should be in the next few days. He actually wanted to move this to Saturday, but I'm going to be seeing my family on Long Island. So, um, But thanks so much for doing this and, and going along and, sure. and having like a pretty wide ranging discussion. Cause I think every time we've done this, you'll text me and be like, I just want to talk about the military stuff, but somehow we get yeah, it. To what <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, it, it's, it's important. I think all of the stuff that we talked about, it's important stuff for people to hear. Yeah. So hopefully they enjoyed it and got something out of it. One last thing, just real quick. Yeah. I would say to everybody out there, don't believe a word I said, <laughs> mind. find out for yourself. You got to research. Don't believe CNN or Fox. They're all liars. Mockingbird, remember? Now, go out there and research for yourself, you know? And I don't believe any of the politicians. I think they're all liars. Maybe except Tulsi, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. She, but, hey, uh, she's not in office anymore. So, I mean, she's technically not yeah, a politician anymore. Yeah. Well, she still is. You know she is. But um, I would say keep an open mind, please. Research it yourself. Don't believe a word anybody else tells you because they have uh, narratives, they have reasons, they have stuff they're trying to do, they have motivations. You know, find out for yourself, research. A lot of stuff I said is conspiracy, kind of. A lot of stuff I said is probably not going to be provable to be true or false. So there's a lot of stuff out there. But if, if you want to know stuff, then meet people that investigate. That's pretty much it. Yeah. You know <laughs> You know who you should do something with, I feel like, because you're the two most inquisitive Navy SEALs about this type of stuff? You and Jesse Ventura. That would be pretty cool. You know, he's talked to me a couple times. I actually sent him a note about two days ago because he did call me about a year or so ago. And uh, he was like, hey, I want you to come on my podcast. And I was like, and I was like, Jesse. And I said, you, and I was like, I can't. And I said, he didn't know what was going on in my life at the time, but there was a movie deal. There was another thing I was working on. There was a bunch of stuff. I just could not do it. And I also said, Jesse, I know what I want to talk about with you. 
And I said, I know how far out you are. And I said, I just can't, man, I can't do it right now. And I said, can we do it later? And so I sent him a note about two days ago. I said, hey, Jesse, you know, I killed the movie pretty much. I probably lost about a million dollars. But for me, I believe honor, integrity, and truth is more important than money. So I'd rather lose out on a million dollars and be truthful. I don't want the money. If it's not correct and it's not right, I don't want a cent. I already made that mistake with that stupid book that has so much fault stuff in it, you know? And I ended up not making money on that one. So it's, it's not about the money. It's about the truth. It's about integrity. It's honor. There's too much at stake. There's too many people chasing money, you know? And so I killed a million dollar deal. I lost out on a million bucks straight up. That's not even counting royalties. That's just me showing up. So that's what it's all about. Just like I said, if that, if they, if I would let them do that movie the way it's written right now and what's going on, it would have hurt people. I think, no, maybe not. It was pretty neutral because I'm neutral. It would, it wouldn't have been right. It would have been the truth that has to be talked about for the end of it to say all this happened up to here and here's where I found the light. Here's where the candle was lit and I saw it for what it really was. And I will, I'll be poor my whole life. I don't care because I'm not poor. I'm poor money, but man, you have no idea the other stuff I'm doing and how wealthy I am with stuff that is so far beyond money, you know? And I wish people would get that. There's a dude, Jason Gardner, too. You got to get him on a show. <laughs> you know Jason right. Gardner? No, I don't. I don't know. Dude, Jason Gardner. He lives in, like, way out northwest, and he's just doing some really cool stuff. There's there's so many people to get on. That's the cool thing about doing a podcast. I mean, there's just there's so many great stories out Frank there. Arnold. Frank Arnold is a psychologist. He's a doctorate. PhD psychology, old SEAL team guy, and that platoon right there. Okay. Write down Frank Arnott. If he would come on a show and get dig into psychology of SEAL teams, that guy I think would be enlightening. That'd That's be awesome. fun to talk to. And he's a great guy. He was one of the operators too. Right. I could. Yeah, no, it, it's always a fascinating discussion <laughs> with you, and, it, and it's like a long time in the making because oh. you were one of the early people I had on the list to come on and, and finally like we made it happen so thanks so much and uh, yeah we'll do we'll do this right, again well. and stay in touch All right. for sure I'm here man you gotta come visit I'm not very far away that's true that's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast but we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk until then be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod to sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoparanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.